everybody, and welcome to another episode of Knights of the Dawn podcast. I'm Jessica. And I'm Megan. And today we will be talking about epi- episode chapters 13 through 18 of book three, Grip of the Shadow Plague of Fablehaven series. And boy, oh boy, isn't this a fun one. Yeah, this is... I've been looking forward to this half of the book. <laughs> this is where it gets really fun. <laughs> yes. Interestingly, though, it comes after our cast has been whittled down severely. Yeah. There's, like, depressing moments right before this oh, where it's, like... They're, like, the lowest. We're, I mean, not the lowest in the book, but, like, pretty feeling pretty low. Being like, oh, crap. What do we do now? So Do nothing. We got it. He's got it under control. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, okay, so we'll actually jump into it now without talking more meta. But, so, start out, chapter 13, um, Secret Admirer. This chapter was very entertaining. I just, I love how aware and self-conscious that Seth is during this, like, beginning of the chapter. Yeah. Like, it starts out, he's, like, he's laying in bed. And this is just after, like, Tanu and Coulter have communicated that they need Seth to follow them for information on how to stop the plague or at least how it originated. And Grandpa, being a protective grandfather, as he should be, Mm -hmm. is saying no. And so Seth is now going to take matters into his own hands. Yeah, and I like the beginning of this because he's, like, sitting there thinking and he's thinking about risks and, like, he's really thinking about what risks are like worth it and what makes a risk worth it and i think that's like showing his growth and his m- maturingness mm-hmm. he's not mature but he is matured more than maturing yes <laughs> he's on the way but yeah i really like this cuz like he's he's thinking about like here i'll just read this had he been stupid in the past? Sure. Peeking out of the window on Midsummer Eve when he had w- been warned not to look had been stupid. The only benefit had been to satisfy his curiosity, and he had nearly gotten his family killed. This summer, he had taken some risks for flimsy reasons as well. Of course, when the risks seemed small, sometimes he didn't mind acting a little stupid. But he had also acted courageously. He had overdosed on Courage Potion to confront the Revenant in hopes of saving his family. That risk had paid off. So he's, like, comparing... What he, how he used to act and how he, like, acts now. And I really like that he's, like, starting to learn, like, risk and reward. Yes. And I love that he also, like, he specifically defines the difference between stupidity and courage. Yeah. He's like, I've been stupid. Heck yeah. But, like, he he, he recognizes the difference. Stupidity is taking risks for no good reason. Mm-hmm. Courage is taking risks for good reasons. Like, yeah. Even if you're scared, you're still going to take the risk of possibly failing in order to protect or save someone. And he, and so he sees this, this next venture as courageous and not stupid. Grandpa, I think, disagrees. <laughs> because, yeah. of course, I love that Grandpa's gotten to the point now where he just knows Seth so well that he has ordered Hugo and Mendigo to keep watch that if Seth tries to leave, they are to grab him, apprehend him, and keep him on the property. Uh-huh. And Seth almost outsmarts him, too, because he takes a gaseous potion so that Hugo and Mendigo can't physically grab him. Mm-hmm. And they're like, and like Seth's like, okay, let's go. And he's about to follow the shadows because mm-hmm. nobody can stop him. And Grandpa finally just like goes, 
Fine. Fine. You don't want to listen to me? Fine. At least I can stop you from being too stupid. He's like, I'm going with you. <laughs> and I still love that Seth, when Grandpa goes back inside to get changed, he still kind of eggs him on, like, okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. And but... then Dale's like, I saw that. <laughs> nah. Your grandpa's true to his word. And I love that Tano and Coulter are like, oh, okay, yeah, we're good. <laughs> yeah. Well, because Grandpa's like, if you really want to prove that you have, like, your mind, your mind, yeah. you stay until I can come back. And they're like, okay, well, we can't leave then. Because <laughs> they want to prove to them that they can be trusted. Mm-hmm. So they go on their little escapade to visit an old demon named Grawlis, who Seth knows basically nothing about. And Grandpa knows that he's just enough yeah just enough to be terrified he (laughs) knows that he's dangerous and that he's very worried that if they go talk to him they won't come out alive Mm -hmm. and yet here seth once again outsmarts grandpa where um grandpa they get close and um he just says nope not happening like i i i went here i came here on good faith but now that he knows the destination he says nope we're turning around and seth's like okay and Grandpa loosens his hand on his arm, and I'm like, and you done messed up, Stan. You done messed yeah, up. Yeah, you trusted him. <laughs> that was your first mistake. And Seth just vaults out and just books it up the hill, mm-hmm. getting past the point again where Hugo and Mendigo can't follow him. And so he is now, like, Grandpa's like, fine! So, he's, so exas- he's, like, tired mentally. He's like, I'm not getting any sleep tonight because of this kid. <laughs> But and he probably at this point knows as well. Like, he thinks Seth is going... He straight up... He honestly believes that Seth is going to his death like right now. running to his death. And his grandpa just says, I'm going with you. And... That's a that's admirable. Yeah. Honestly, if I'm being honest, though, I bet he just didn't want to have to face his grandmother afterwards. Yeah, grandma... Sources who is might not even terrifying. be awake right now. Maybe she didn't even wake up. <laughs> I don't know. But I will say, like, in these chapters, and it... I love the side of Seth that it shows. And this is the side of Seth that we saw at the end of book two when he mm-hmm. went to go face down the Revenant. Something I really admire about Seth is that if it's within his ability, or even though it's not within yeah, his yeah, ability, or what, what he saying. thinks is his ability, he will do whatever it takes to, like, get things done and, like, mm-hmm. do what he needs to to do and do to what needs to be done. To take care of his family. Yeah. To take care of the preserve. He yeah, did that even well, in book one. Well, to do one. whatever it needs to be done. Yeah. He, he will try his hardest. He will leave a protection, a circle of protection to go save a chicken. Mm. He will go and face off against a revenant that he knows turns people into white albinos because he knows it needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And as he gets older and more experienced, he gets more capable and like learns more about how he can accomplish these goals that he has mm-hmm. better. And I think it turns into, like, it becomes more courageous every time because he learns more and therefore he's able to make more calculated risks. Yeah. He's not in, and he does less stupid risks. Mm -hmm. Like, one could argue that just going into the lair of a demon is pretty much of a stupid risk. If he Mm -hmm. had known more, he might not have done it. Like, probably that's why Patton or Warren would never have wandered into there without being shadows like Tano and Coulter Mm -hmm. because they knew that was stupid. And then we have Seth, who doesn't yet know it's stupid, and says, no, this is courageous. I'm going. Yeah. Very interesting. And he's very interested because he, well, it's it's stupid, but not as stupid because he has a reason Mm -hmm. to go there. He knows at least that, well, well, Tony and Coulter are trying to tell him that 
Gralis has information that can help them, and so that's why he's taking the risk. Mm-hmm. Still stupid, but it has a little more calculation than just going to go. It's just he's calculating based off incorrect data or yeah, incomplete yeah. data. Yeah. So. Yeah. Whereas Grandpa is calculating from much more complete data and is like, no, this is not the correct, you know, not to have the correct solution. To be fair, it does pay off, though. It well, does. Amazingly. And that's where the stupid bravery part comes in. So, yes, yeah, so we finally get in, and I love that we here find out one of Seth's new abilities, kind of similar in the way that we found out about Kendra's. Yeah. First of all, that Seth actually has abilities. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's oh. the, whoa, surprise, number one. So, basically, Seth is now immune to magical fear. Well, we also knew that he could see the shadows. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, we find out why, basically. We mm-hmm. get some history lessons, and I love how... Gr- like, Graula's is just, like, this pitiful wreck who's, mm-hmm. like, just, like, moaning and groping and just, like, moaning out these words in between as well. What do you Sorry, think? I just was looking. I think it's really funny that um, when Seth runs away from Grandpa from the cart, he uses Seth's full name. <laughs> He's like, Seth Michael Sorensen. I you were to this cart that. this instant. And the only other time... That has happened is his grandma when they went to go find Nero. Nero. And I just think it's really funny <laughs> that now both of his grandparents have like yelled at him using his full name, which makes you know that he's in big trouble. In very similar situations. In very similar situations. When he's booking oh. it away, doing something that they can't do because he knows it's the right thing to do and only he can do it. It's so funny though. <laughs> it's hysterical. I think it's hilarious. Anyway, sorry. That's there just I just saw that and I was like, oh yeah, I wanted to mention that. I'm glad you did. No, but yeah, so Growless, and I just love how, like, Seth is just, what's up? He's so nonchalant, like, he doesn't understand what's happening. He doesn't understand that he should be paralyzed by fear, but he's not. In both senses of the word, like, like, because there's the magical fear that, like, dragons project and demons can project. Mm-hmm. Or the revenant projected that can, that literally, like, freezes you and your mind and you cannot move. Yeah. Like, physically you are incapable unless you have certain abilities. Like Kendra and Seth. Mm-hmm. Kendra was able to keep her mind when she was, when she locked eyes with Shalise earlier in this book. Yeah, it's true. And now Seth, however, is also able to keep keep a hold of his faculties as well. Like, he's scared, and he's straight up says that. He's like, yeah, I, I know you could probably kill me really quickly if you wanted to. And Gregor is like, no, 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 that's not the point. It's like, you don't understand. <laughs> you aren't afraid. Like, look at your grandpa. Petrified, just like you were with the Revenant. I'm projecting that right now, and you're fine. So that's like, oh, so I'm magic. <laughs> Yeah. And I love how he just sees this as a win. Like, oh, cool. And, like, we find out why when he pulled the nail out of the Revenant's neck, it left an imprint on him. Mm-hmm. So, basically, now he has shadow powers. Yes. He has been affected by a dark talisman, just like Kendra was affected by a light. Not talisman, but... Potion? Thing. Uh, fairies, I don't know. <laughs> she, she drank the potion thing. And That's true. Her, so, yeah. But yeah. So yeah, I just like, I, I love how we're having the light and dark sandwich. <laughs> it's Opposite in the middle. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> uh, but like we have like the compliments, the opposites, mm-hmm. yet they work together as we see later on. Starting I just, I always enjoy that. I always enjoyed the fact that they took such 
I like it. Basically. Yeah. Moral of the story, I like it. Mm-hmm. So we get some history. So at this point, I think we do have it confirmed pretty much. The Sphinx is a traitor. Yeah. Like, as soon as Graula says, yeah, he let that prisoner loose before he left the grounds, which, to be fair, Graulus could be r- lying. We mm-hmm. do not know for sure. But yeah. at that point, it is pretty much confirmed. It's like, yeah, like two different people. People, demon, whatever. Blix, <laughs> Blix. Blix and a demon have, like, kind of, you know, telling, like, the same story, you know. Mm-hmm. Kind of leads you to believe that uh, maybe it has some truth. And it's interesting because, like, they thought that the nail had, like, disappeared or, like, disintegrated or whatever. Like, it was gone. But then Growlis explains that, no, it was actually there. And if you'd gotten there earlier, you could have gotten it. But because... And prevented all of this. Yeah, and prevented all of this because what it was is that the Sphinx took the prisoner from the quiet box who Growlis actually tells him that it was someone called... Navarog, who is a demon prince, who's actually a dragon, and the he's dragon evil. Demon prince. Yeah, and so he says that he saw Navarog take the nail and take it to one of the other demons on the preserve, who's named Kurosok, and then that nail was used to create the plague. Mm-hmm. And so we get some also some backstory about um, Kurosok, like they say he's more substance than shadow, mm-hmm. and that he survives by being bound to a host. Yeah. And so they're all like, okay, so now we have some more clues. Who's the host? How is he how are they spreading it? But now they have some big big hints. Hints, and yeah. It's very essential. And they also have again confirmation on the Sphinx's treachery. Mhm. And but I think big the surprise. Yes. <laughs> speaking of surprise as well, I think that was like the my favorite part of this entire conversation is why that we were having it in the first place. Like, the entire reason Growlis is helping out right now is because Seth surprised him. That's true. He does say that. <laughs> and I, I just love how Growlis is talking. He's like, yeah, I was like, I was, well, I have uh, omniscience in this preserve. You know, it's it's fine. But <laughs> And so he's, he's like, fine. I was watching you when you were facing off with the Revenant. And he's like, I saw you facing off. I saw the spark of the courage potion fail. And he's like, oh, yep, he's done. Yeah. And I love how he straight up says, like, if you were a seasoned warrior with many victories and battles under your belt, and you'd still managed to pull that nail out, I would have been deeply impressed. But you? I was surprised. And he mm-hmm. said, after thousands of years, I brought you here so I could thank you for my first surprise in centuries. Yeah. And I want to go back to that part, because, like, I feel like that never, like, connected in my brain, where he said that, like, the courage potion that Seth used ran out. Mm-hmm. And so... The last, I mean, like you kind of like feel it in like the second book when he like feels the fear coming back he says, on, like, but like the, the, the far, the faint spark fades. Yeah, I think is what yeah. He says. But I just, I just love that because it's just like it was Seth. Like the courage portion, courage potion got him there, but it was Seth, not the courage potion, that pulled out the nail. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And it was, it was also like at the hardest part because it talked about the closer it got, the higher the intensity of mm-hmm. the fear was. So that last part, the hardest part, the most difficult moment when he was actually actively being strangled by the revenant he still managed to yank that nail out even being paralyzed by that fear i'm just like yeah that we were all surprised Mm growless we were all surprised and speaking of growless it's interesting because um he talked about how he 
is that Fablehaven to die. Like, mm-hmm. he has, like, it's glor- his diseases and whatever. Like, it's slowly killing him. Like, he cannot do, like, anything because, I don't know what exactly it is, but, like, he's, like, is basically, like, on the brink of death, but it takes, like, hundreds and thousands of years to actually happen. So he's, like, doing nothing, and he has nothing else to do except watch what goes on in the preserve, and then mm-hmm. he saw what Seth did. And it's interesting because Gralis says that he used to be, like, one of the most feared demons I think he said one ever. of the six. One of the six. Most feared. So he went from being, like, super powerful and feared to, like, this pathetic state of, I don't know, agony. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's interesting, like, more background and, like, the world building and stuff about, like, demons and, you know... That there's a hierarchy even within mm-hmm. the demons and things like that. We'll dive into that in a couple books. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. No, but yeah, I just, it's it's just a fun, such a fun conversation. And it is really kind of interesting to see this, like, being of darkness, of evil, be, like, genuinely grateful. It like, is kind of weird. It is. Yes. It's a little trippy. Yeah. It's kind of like... Yeah, um, I don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what to compare it to. It's just like this demon. He has lived for so long. He's gotten to the point. It's kind of like Lena, almost like Lena got to the point where, like, even when she was in her like immortal state, Patton was able to get through to her, and she was able to see past her n- her nature. Okay, and see. And, like, Growlis, I feel like, at this point has kind of gotten to that. He has lived so long, done so much, and fell so far, he's gotten to the point where he's overlooking his the na- his very nature of being a demon to the point where he can he is now more neutral, whereas... And it talks about this a little bit more later when it talks about why humans, like Coulter and Tanu, can retain their minds, whereas mm-hmm. the... Um, magical creatures when they're bitten and turned to darkness their entire personalities change as well and yeah. their mental- mentality is lost i like i like humans have a like it talks about how humans are different just because we are not light or dark and so it is our choices that determine more of who we are yeah yeah and they talk about that later mm-hmm. like at the pond as well mm-hmm. about how like the nature of like magical creatures and how and Grandpa talks about this a lot, and I think in other books too, that magical creatures aren't necessarily evil, mm-hmm. but they're light or dark, and each side can do bad or good things. Probably more bad things. Yes. But, yeah. I just thought it was interesting. Like at this point, Growlithe has lived so long, he has outgrown his nature, and I think that is something very human and very mortal. And I think that is because he is facing his own mortality. Like like you said, he came mm. to this preserve to die. Yeah. Like, he is not, like, he is not expecting to have any glory beyond this. He doesn't mm. have any future aims. He's just, and I mean, I bet if it, a bunch of it is selfish, like, uh, is a bit selfish. He's like, he said, I'm really telling you this just to see if you'll surprising me again. Yeah, it's for his own entertainment in a way. But a bit of it is genuine gratitude. He said, thank you for surprising me. Thank you for giving me that novelty. Yeah. Here's something for you. I, just, I think it's a bit different from, like, the dragons who, like, if if a dragon tamer can withstand their gaze, they they are not just, like, um, like pleasantly surprised. Like, ooh, this mouse knows a fun trick. 
it's <laughs> yeah, like Shalise. <laughs> yes, it's it's some it's more it's it seems more genuine than that. Mm. So yeah, I just thought I just wanted to bring that interesting. up. Interesting. Something else interesting I think is that um, he mentions that like it's almost it's like foreshadowing for like the next couple chapters is that. Um, <clears throat> Grala says there's only two places on the preserve that are safe from the dark creatures the place where the centaurs live and then the pond where the fairy shrine the fairy queen shrine is and then Seth is like and the house right and he's like sure mm, sure if you want to say that and that's kind of like foreshadowing later yeah. <laughs> he's like yeah no not really and so like, like yeah <laughs> it really had that feeling of like you know in the movies like yeah and we'll be safe there right Yep. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Sure, totally. Yeah. yeah. You're, you'll be fine. Or it's just like, yeah, you can think that. Like, it's <laughs> cute. You not think really, that. but it's cute. You think that exactly. So I thought that was like interesting, just kind of like foreshadowing for the later chapters, which we read, so uh-huh. we can talk about that. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. So yeah, next one's homecoming, mm-hmm. which is basically Kendra and Warren leaving Las Mesa. Yeah. And I do love the confirmation. Yes, Neil was a skinwalker. Love that. I know we talked about it last episode, but it's one more little th- th- shout out. Not a creepy one. <laughs> Thanks. Not. Eh, there's various types. But Let's that's not. not talk not the, about that, please. Okay, now's not the time to get into it. Just wanted to say I liked the confirmation. So yeah, they're like they re- go back to the main, the. Oh my gosh, friendship. No, the main house. They go back to the main house, licking mm-hmm. their wounds a bit. I mean, they literally have a corpse in the back of the truck. Yeah, that's really sad. Yeah. They, like, the one thing is that, like, the Mesa gave them, like, a nice little pathway to go down <laughs> to get off the Mesa. It's it was like, like now here, that we've given you all this trauma, here, we'll yeah, get you, we'll we made let you, you leave. I made you rock climb in the pouring rain and up a waterfall and then get attacked Here's this nice little switchback trail that you could just go down to get out of like, here. Kendra even mentions like the beauty of the view, and I and yeah. they mentioned that like when they were trying to find a way up. Yeah, that, like getting down was always easier than getting mm-hmm. out. The mesa like, always is like it just, get it out just of here. repels any visitors. It wants them to leave. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they talk about how well Kendra talks about in her mind, I guess. I don't know. That like they didn't they don't tell Dugan or Gavin about the inscription that she saw about the artifact being in Fablehaven. Courtesy of the world's greatest adventurer. Courtesy of the world's greatest adventurer. And so they decide that they're still not sure if the traitor to the society has been flushed out yet. Mm-hmm. And so they decide to take like a chalice and pretend that that was the artifact that they were looking for just to see if anything happens. And so they go back to the house, and then they have to break the news that Neil is dead, which is really sad. Mm-hmm. And then, so yeah. Honestly, the saddest part is that <clears throat> Kendra, and Kendra is like one of the only ones who has like a very emotional reaction. Like even Rosa and Hal and Mara, very stoic, very understanding. And it's like, I think it really just kind of reveals how new Kendra still is to this world. Rosa does cry, though. She does. But, I mean, like, even, like, within, like, a few hours when Kendra wakes back up, she is Mm. pretty much resolved. She has resolved it. I feel like that's her, like, putting on, like, a face for the guests, That's That's true. But it really just does feel, it really just emphasizes, A, Kendra's youth. Yes. And her newness to the world. Yeah. 
Like, they still have only been aware of Fable Haven's existence for maybe a year at this point. Exactly. They've just barely been introduced into this world, and... Kendra's not known anyone that's died yet. Yes. This is the first time she's ever known someone in the world of the preserves, and then they died. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's just, like, it really hits her, like, later on in yeah. this in this section, but... Like, even just seeing, like, Warren is able to kind of steal himself and just focus on the mission, Dugan, Gavin, and then we have, the re- like, the reactions of the people who were close to mm-hmm. to Neil. Yeah. And, like, they, they, they mourn, but then afterwards they are able to just, like, these things happen. Like, it's a part of this world, and, like, that's just something that, Ke- like you said, Kendra has not been exposed to yet. And, yeah, you put it... You, taking a 14 year old through uh, two death traps like the first vault and now this one she's gonna walk away with some trauma and i like that it's addressed i guess what's his face did die in the second book christopher vogel we didn't care about him yeah exactly <laughs> uh but yeah this is like the first person she actually like cared about or mm-hmm. you know was like a friend and so i feel like this kind of shows her the reality and that you know, she's been told that the preserves are dangerous, but it's one thing to hear about it other than to actually experience it. And so she experiences it firsthand. I think that does shake her up a bit. Mm-hmm. And that really colors the rest of her perspectives This in this section. Yeah. Like, she has, she has a couple of nightmares, and she rightly attributes them to the trauma. Mm-hmm. And even later, once they get back to Fablehaven after, well, so... Just quick yeah, let's order. not. <laughs> yeah, skip I'll, I'll that. talk about. Well, can I just skip ahead just for a second? Okay. Like even later, once they get back to Fablehaven, like Seth has been Seth about kind of like her getting to see a dragon yeah. and go through another vault. But even after that, Seth kind of sobers up like that night, and he's like, "Hey, um, I'm sorry about like everything that happened," because he understands that it was a very traumatic experience. Yeah, yeah, they think they told him. Yeah, yeah, like he knows that like stuff went down and it wasn't all fun and games like mm-hmm. it, he'd kind of been treating it as beforehand yeah and he 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 actually says like i'm glad i wasn't there when when that happened and kendra says i am too like like dang these kids are going through it right now like that part really hit me like it just it just it that was a very good sibling interaction like Seth sobers up, he, and you can tell he's kind of uncomfortable, like like a little awkward, but yeah. like he's sincere and honest. He understands that Kendra is hurting, and he tries to be there for her, and he does a good job. Good brother. Good job, Seth. <coughs> Sorry. <clears throat> yeah, you can see, like, how their time on these preserves are starting to change them and, like, how they think and how they feel because their experience is more... And they're getting deeper in into the world of Fablehaven of the preserves, and you know they have to take it more seriously than maybe they did before. Mm-hmm. Like Kendra is becoming, I think, a bit less. I mean, she is still kind of like not great in a fight, but she is. She ever? <laughs> true. True. <laughs> Sorry, Ouch! Kendra. Ooh. Ouch! Woo! Shots fired. <laughs> No, but yeah, like, Kendra is, I think, becoming a bit more scarred and, like... She's got some battle wounds. She's got some battle wounds now and, like, some experiences. And Seth is becoming a bit less reckless and more responsible and 
and more. And so they're both growing, and I think they're both growing together as well. Yeah, I feel like what you just said made me think, like, they're kind of getting the experience that they need to grow in the way that they need. Because Seth is already always down for, like, action and adventure, but he doesn't do well, or at least in the past hasn't done well to, like, stop and think and do things like research and, like, think things through and, like, think out, like, the different possibilities. He's more like, let's just go and do it. Well, Kendra is more prone to, like, thinking things out and, like, we even see that in, like, the first book. Yeah, how we she did. figures out uh-huh. the keyholes and everything. And <clears throat> now she is part of the Knights of the Dawn, is immediately sent on a mission and having to, like, do things and, like, take action. And so I feel like they're getting their chances to each separately get more experience in where they, like, kind of lack. Mm-hmm. So, However, we did skip over some stuff. Yeah. Sorry. So. Go, sorry. Going back to Lost Mesa really quick. Sorry. Yeah. I, just, I just wanted to make sure I covered that before yeah, I forgot. Yeah, no, you're good. So they get back. Kendra goes to her room, you know. Passes out. Cries it out, you know, release of emotions and trauma and everything. Needed. Takes the nap. That is her thing. After she goes, after she does something strenuous, she goes and takes a nap. And honestly, I'm here for it, girl. Uh, Me too. That's a good thing to do. <laughs> Me and, too. Um, so she wakes up and she goes and finds Warren. And he's like, oh, I've been waiting for you to wake up. I think that before we leave, we need to talk to Dugan and tell him about our suspicions about the Sphinx. Because he thinks that other people in the Knights who are high up like Dugan because he's a lieutenant should know these things about the Sphinx. And so they go and meet with Dugan and they tell him that um, they're like, first of all, did you know about the things early in the summer that happened at Fablehaven and how the Sphinx has an artifact? And he's like, no, I didn't know that. And that's, you know, red flag right there. And so... And they never... But they never explicitly say it, I don't think. Like, they never explicitly say that the Sphinx was implicated as a traitor. Do they? I don't think so. No, no, they don't mention the traitor thing. They don't mention it. They never explicitly say anything. I don't think so. But they lay out all the facts that they have, and they say, do with this what you will. Mm -hmm. There is an undercurrent of suspicion, and Dugan is feeling those own suspicions because of the fact that, like... I wasn't told about any of this. And as a lieutenant, he is high enough up that he's like, maybe I should have known about this. Yeah. But especially, yeah, like this, he is. And so I really love that Warren is like, I'm not going to make you think anything. I'm just going to give you all this information and let you do with it as you will. Mm-hmm. Like they're not going to say he was implicated by a, a Blix. Yeah. Because that's going to ruin their credibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're not saying that they have information that he might be a traitor, but they're saying, like, you understand the implications about if the Sphinx was a traitor and had access to multiple artifacts, like, what that would mean. And so Dugan's like, yes, I understand. And he says that, like, this is how the, the, the knights have traditionally, like, policed themselves by, like, not having one person have all the power and having, like... Nobody's above suspicion. Nobody's, no, nobody's above suspicion, but he also is like, yeah, we can't go around spreading rumors and, like, causing dissension and distrust among all the knights just in case he's not a traitor. But I do like that he Dugan kind of, like, takes it, and he doesn't immediately, like, not believe them. Like, he's like, okay, yeah, I will keep that in mind. And I will do my own research. Yeah. I will talk to my sources, confer with the other lieutenants... Thank you. And I really yeah. I really appreciate the trust because I feel like 
this is like the almost exact opposite of what we were getting when we had the Knights meeting. Mm-hmm. Like the Knights meeting was all about secrecy, all about like um, isolating each individual member by not letting them know who was around them. Whereas now we have Warren saying, nope, I don't trust it. I'm just going to come straight forward and say, this is what we know. Mm-hmm. This is what we know. Make your own inferences and then get back to us. And, and Dugan says, I will. And Dugan's also like, oh, so that's why you were like hounding me about the identity of the captain at the meeting. And he's and like, also okay, that makes sense. And after extra preserves. Yeah. He's like, okay. He's like, pieces are starting to fall into mm-hmm. place. And Dugan also says that they on, they also only know four out of the five secret preserves that no one else knows where the fifth one is. And so they're like, well, that's still another mystery. And honestly, that's honestly a genius way to keep the secret. Because, like, I mean, Dugan even straight up said, like, we always figured that if we said, let's, if we said we're going to pool all of our resources, pool all of our knowledge, yeah, we'll know where all five are. But no, they're like figuring out that even among all of these elite spies, hunters, and all of these like people, everyone, who are everyone in this in this world, nobody knows where that fifth one is. They only know, um, Connecticut, Arizona, Arizona, Australia, Australia Brazil. Mm-hmm. They're like, but then where's the fifth? Yeah. I just really like that that they point that out. Like, mm-hmm. wait a second. Like, what better way to keep the secret then? Yeah. To make sure that one is always a secret. But then you have another side which makes them question does the society know mm-hmm. and they don't know? And then that's just, you know, a big question that you're like, oh, crap. If they know, that's not good. But if they don't know and we don't know, that that's we don't know, actually that better. Know, that you know, that <laughs> we know, that you don't know, that we know, that you could know. Do you know? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Um, so, so yeah, they out. have that conversation, and then Kendra goes to sleep and wakes up at like the crack of dawn, and she's like, goes out and she's like, "Where is everybody? Usually, I'm not the first one up." But then she runs into Gavin and finds out mischief has happened during the night. Can I just say mischief that is always that always had a funny stink to me? Okay, so basically what happens is Gavin's informing Kendra that everybody's out looking for Javier, who was one of the three original knights sent to help out with um, retrieving the artifact. Yeah. And who had lost an entire leg and, like, from his knee down on the other leg mm-hmm. from... The, the dragon. dragon. From Shalice. Yeah. And had been had had to been pushed around in a wheelchair this entire visit. Apparently, what 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 it comes to, so they presented the, ch- the the chalice as their prize, as like, oh, we found we found the artifact, mm-hmm. and the next morning the strong box is gone, tires are slashed, and Javier is gone as well. Yeah. So they're like, well, there's our there's our crook. There's our traitor. Which always had such a funny stink to me. Because he doesn't have legs. Because he doesn't have <laughs> legs. I know. How is this man supposed to be slashing tires? I mean, he has arms. He could slash tires. I don't know how he would drive I'm a say, car. Like, driving though. a car? Like he he apparently he drove the jeep all the way over to the gate, which yeah. I think was like a thirty minute drive in the dead of night. I just. I mean, I'm, I don't buy I, it. I know people who are paralyzed 
who like maybe very very capable. They're very capable. We're not saying anything about that. But he also lost his legs like maybe two. But like yes, in the context of this book, Javier, who yeah, lost his legs just a couple months ago. I don't know if he would be capable of driving a car and doing everything. But they did say maybe he had an accomplice outside. But he wouldn't have been able to let them in. I know. So he would have had to do everything inside. He would have had to sneak around. Get the strong box, which was probably locked away, like, in Dugan's room or something. Yeah. Do that quietly without alerting Dugan at all. Sneak out. How is he maneuvering with a strong box? Like, if he's, like, if, if there's steps, which there usually are in Haciendas. Yeah. Like, he's not getting down those. But, like, the thing wheelchair. is... Did he use his potion again and make himself lighter and float down? The thing is that, like, they have no other explanation. Yes. Like, That's true. everyone else is there except Javier. The thing is gone. The tires are slashed. And that's true. And so they have nothing else to go on. It and just, so it always smelled It must a have been Javier. Funky. It always smelled a little funky to me. But it must have been Javier. But it must have been. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying something smells fishy, and we're in the desert, so it definitely ain't natural. (laughs) Definitely ain't the fish. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was good. I was expecting that. (laughs) So, yeah, they go back to Fablehaven. Mm -hmm. They make their flight, you know. (laughs) They get there. And um, Seth, before they get back, has been engaging in something he basically swore he would never do. A perilous activity. Highly addictive. It really leads you down a rabbit hole. Reading. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, that's only for nerds. And then when Kendra's gone, he's like, maybe this would be helpful. (laughs) And so he's been reading Patton's journals. As he swore he would never do to Kendra at the beginning of this book. Uh Uh-huh. I just find it funny. Like, he, like he's reading about um, Kurosok, as he should. Finds some good information, mm-hmm. but as soon as he hears that Kendra's nearby, he shuts the book, puts it away, and, like, tries to make sure it doesn't look like it's been disturbed at all because he knows that she'll never let him live it down. Yeah, like, he hears someone come up the stairs. He's like, oh, crap, and he, like, scrambles and puts it all away, and then Dell is like, oh, they're back, and he's like, oh, okay, yeah. Trying to act all natural. <laughs> Me trying to hide my book from my mom at night. Yeah. <laughs> Same energy, same real, energy. And Seth's like, what? Reading? I wasn't reading. What are you talking about? And the fact that later when it comes up, because they're all sharing their stories, yeah. everything about what's happening in Fablehaven, what's been happening at Las Mesa, and um, they're talking about Kurisok, and Seth's like, so um, I was playing around in the nursery, and I think I knocked against a table, and one of the journals just, just fell open on the floor on a passage about Kurisok, the demon. Really interesting information. I skimmed it really quick. Um, it, it said this. talked about um, Patton's observations on Kurosak. And it, it's glanced over in conversation. But later on, Kendra has a golden conversation. And the, yeah. fact, and the best part is that Grandma and Grandpa join in. <laughs> That's and so they true. don't yeah. hold back. It's so funny because she's like, you know, Seth... I'm having a hard time picturing a game where you actually knock down a book and it just happens to fall open to a page that talks about Kurosak. Hmm, how would that ever happen? And the fact is, it's the it's because he's been needling her about Gavin. <laughs> yes. So like, like the next he's, morning he's when they're at breakfast, <laughs> he's teasing her because of her crush on Gavin. Like, ooh, yeah. And and, <laughs> and, and, and Kendra's like, oh, you want to play? 
let's play. It's so funny. They're like eating pancakes at breakfast, and she's like, oh, I'm full. And and he's like, oh, I'll eat yours. And then no, he, he's I, like, you're watching your figure. figure. I'm not watching my figure for Gavin. <laughs> I can eat more pancakes because I'm not trying to look good for Gavin. <laughs> yeah, you're just storing up fat so you can read the little bookworm. Yeah. <laughs> And then they totally get him about reading, and then he like stomps out of the room, and, like, and he's Grandpa actually like really he's like, mad about it. Yeah, and he's also just like annoyed. He's like, oh, you know what? Whatever. But wait, I think we skipped some stuff. <laughs> no, I know we did, but we gotta finish this real quick. Okay. Um, and like Seth, like he he gets very like defensive, and he's like, it was an emergency, emergency reading. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> if I were starving, I would eat asparagus. If someone held a gun to my head, I would watch a soap opera. And to save Fablehaven, I would read a book. Okay, are you happy? He's like, okay, shoot me, whatever, yeah. <laughs> and then Grandma jumps in. You would best be careful, Seth. The loving love of reading can be very contagious. And like Kendra's like, oh, I, you know what? I can help you get a library card, add some variety. <laughs> and Seth, like, like. Megan said he just storms out. And then Grandpa. Grandpa comes in. <laughs> uh, like, <laughs> what's what's wrong with Seth? Grandma, Kendra accused him of voluntarily reading. Grandpa raised his eyebrows. Should I telephone the authorities? Like, he doesn't <laughs> hesitate. The boy isn't even in the room to defend himself. And Grandpa just jumps on the bandwagon. Sarcasm runs in this family for sure. <laughs> and then one more gem from Grandma. I'll not have my grandson subjected to the humiliation of his reading habit becoming public. We have to cope with this disgrace discreetly. <laughs> and then Kendra's like, I have an idea, Grandpa. And then he says, board up the windows so the paparazzi won't catch him in the act. And then Kendra's like, no, 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 a real idea. Like, okay, like, but <laughs> like I'm getting like, serious again, but. <laughs> I can just imagine how much fun Brandon Ball had writing this. Yeah. Like, like, it's been so dark and depressing. Uh... Like, we had death and, like, like a bunch of loss in the past few chapters and he's like nah I need to stretch my funny bone a little bit it's so funny hysterical <laughs> this whole interaction is just so great and it just starts with like Seth being like an annoying little brother teasing and then Kendra's like oh I can dish it back to you and then grandma and grandpa join in <laughs> yeah if you can't like she's like if you can't don't dish it out if you can't take it yep exactly it's so funny so even before that when Kendra gets back, um, she's talking about, well, Seth is still being like, uh, you got to go to another preserve on an adventure. And she's like, oh, yeah, I fed zombies. And he's like, you fed zombies? You probably didn't even enjoy it. Like, oh, uh, it's so unfair that you would get to do things that you wouldn't even enjoy. And she's like, yeah, I did not enjoy it. And I love Grandpa's comment right there, too. He's like, he's like trying to remember, remind Seth, like, hey, he did something cool. You conversed with a powerful demon. And Seth's like, she doesn't go on, she's not going to care about that. That's not going to make her jealous. Exactly. Like, she'd only care if I'd written a unicorn or something. Well, ballerina sang love songs. And then Kendra's like, don't pin your dreams on me. <laughs> Kendra's been a savage this book, They're honestly. Like so, it's so fantastic. <laughs> like, she has this update in, like, maybe it's just, like, she's, like, 14. Like, she's really stepping into that savage sister mode. She's got the sassiness on her. <laughs> savage sassiness. And then she's also like, oh, we also saw a dragon. He's like, a dragon? And and then she's like, oh, but she was just kind of little. He's like, oh, it was a girl dragon. I'm like, whoa, Seth. <laughs> Sexist. <laughs> Just because it's a girl dragon. Just kidding. <laughs> also, did also eat a person and nearly mauled another one. Yeah. 
Oh. I'm not watching my figure. I just can't. <laughs> I just the audiobook just running through my mind. What was it? I I I'm not watching my figure for Gavin. <laughs> just the way that. Oh, the narrator says. And then later so on, when they're still sharing more stuff, like Seth gets her back a little bit. Um, yeah, Vanessa gave us some hints. Kendra, you smoke with Vanessa? Oh yeah, twice. Seth says smugly. He finally found something that she's <laughs> jealous of. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So yeah, they share that like they have a suspicion. They they they're pretty sure they know now how the plague started. Yeah. And Kendra and Warren share that. Uh-huh, surprise, surprise, there's another artifact here in Fablehaven. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, crap, where could it be? Yeah. And they're like, well, guess we gotta go talk to the only person who still still alive, who knew Patton. Lena! Lena. <laughs> Back to Lena. Yeah. But before that, well, first off, um... We, we find out that we have a deadline for when the kids have to go back to their parents. Oh, like, yeah. They have... But that's not really important. Yeah. Like, less than a week. Because mm-hmm. they're talking, like, late Friday night, early Saturday, and they're like, oh, your parents are coming on Thursday. So they have, like, five, six days before they absolutely, like, you know, have to have this whole thing figured out, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. No pressure. No pressure whatsoever. <laughs> also, when did, um, oh. At one point, um, like, they're while they're brainstorming, <laughs> Seth is like, oh, yeah, and I need to help out. Like, Graola said, I'm the one who needs to stop Kurosok. And Grandpa's like, no, for that precise reason that Graola's being interested in you, you should not be helping at all. And Warren's just joking around. Maybe we better lock him in the quiet box. Yeah. <laughs> and gra- grandmas go like, so help me. I'll take him up on that, Seth. So funny. <laughs> and also later on, like, when, like, they talk about, like, the deadline for going home, Seth's like, if it means getting out of school, maybe we should lock Mama Dan in the dungeon. And then Grandpa sighs saying, we'll do what we must. Not seeming to take the comment quite as jokingly <laughs> as Seth had intended. Like, Grand- Grandpa, yeah. what, are you planning? what are you planning? I know. There? He was like, you know, maybe we should. It's <laughs> like, whoa, okay. Like, those, those, those are your children? Like, Seth your... meant it as a joke. <laughs> that is your daughter and... No, that is your, your daughter-in-law son and your son. And daughter, yeah. It is... It, it is son it's and, like, well... It's son it's and daughter-in-law. It's his son and daughter-in-law, yeah. yeah. I, just, I wasn't 100% sure. I was like, wait. I don't even know their first names. <laughs> Oof. Awkward. Do you? No. <laughs> no? <laughs> they're not really... I mean, they are characters, but they're very, very minor characters. And they never inter- interact with anybody else, really, so... No. Maybe one of them, is one of them Helen? Is the mom Helen? I don't know. I feel like it's mentioned at least once or twice. There's a trivia question for you. What are the names of Gundam's <laughs> parents? Put it in the comments or in an email because we are clearly blanking. I guess we could look it up I on like wiki or something. It's not worth it right now. I'll look that up later. Anyway, moving on. Next chapter. This is one of my favorite chapters. It's called one Brownie. You've been talking for like this entire book about how excited you were for this chapter. Because it's a fun chapter. <laughs> we already got into part of it. The first part is the next day, the next morning, where they're eating pancakes at breakfast and Seth starts, you know, poking at Kendra and Kendra's poking back and then Seth stomps off. And then the end of that is that nice tender moment between them when Seth expresses, like, he's like, hey, I'm sorry that 
you had to watch that yeah. and those people died. Yeah. Like that. Well, nice also, moment. another funny part at breakfast, not to, you know, make light of what you just said, but um, when Grandpa's like, ooh, do I see extra pancakes? Yeah. <laughs> and then yes. Grandma's like, you already had some. And he's like, three, oh, hours, three ago. hours ago. And then Warren's like, more pancakes? He comes in the second layer, yeah. <laughs> and, he, and Grandpa's like, well, Fine. I'm not going to, like, waste these. They're just leftovers. <laughs> no, I just love that Grandpa's literally just like, nope, mine. Uh, they're mine. And then Warren's like, Fine, I won't be bitter as I go off and venture yeah. into the yeah. darkness of the preserve, w- w- risking being turned into a shadow or killed and mauled or turned into stone. And my one I last promise wish. I will not present you for designing my last wish of having some more apple pancakes. Fine. Fine, I'll share. Yeah, Warren's like, I'm going out into danger. It's just like so. No. I can just imagine this being so, him being so like fake dramatic, being like, oh. I wish Off that I go. my one last desire, if I die, would have been, been fulfilled, fulfilled of more apple pancakes. <laughs> Is that one of the recipes in the book? I think so, yeah. Apple pancakes? I'm pretty sure. I want to say it's not, it, it has to be. That makes, ah, we need to try those out sometime. Yeah. Hmm. By the way, yeah, for those who didn't know, <laughs> Brandon Mole came out with a cookbook full of Fable Haven recipes, and it's really cool. So if you haven't, like, checked that out... Go look it up. Yeah. We and Jessica both got copies. It's really cool. Yeah. Really fun themed things. Mm-hmm. With little, like, notes from the characters. <laughs> yeah. We can, we can do a video talking yeah. about that if you guys want, talking about the cookbook, because it's really cool. It is. It's a fun little thing. And honestly, we're thinking about maybe eventually doing a video yeah. where we make one of the treats contained within. If you guys want that or are in favor of that, that option, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. The more we get, the more motivated we are to do this no promise that we'll actually show our faces but <laughs> our hands maybe it could be like one of those tasty videos like add two tablespoons you just see the bowl in the hand putting it in i think we might got, get copyrighted for that though just because no, like the recipes we... are owned and like they're in a cookbook they're published mm, no i don't think so yeah we'll figure it out anyway so then we go to from morning breakfast to that night Kendra and Seth are in their room kind of talking and they're both reading Mm -hmm. and it's funny because Seth is like skimming trying to go super fast trying to look for any information that he can at all and then Kendra's like meticulously like going through the pages like reading every reading everything and then Kendra's like I don't know how you could read anything. You're going so fast, you're going to miss it. And he's like, I don't know how you find anything going so slow. Like, you're not even going to get through half the book by the time we're going to be dead. Yeah. And I was like, hmm, me while reading a textbook versus me reading a fun book for, for pleasure. Mm. You guys get to decide which one's which. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. They eventually stop reading. So, like, well, we're not going to find anything else tonight. So, they turn off the light and they go to bed. And then they are awoken by in a, a voice coming out of the heavens, basically. God. <laughs> and it's actually Grandpa. Grandpa Sorensen is speaking to them from the other side of the attic. And if it was Warren, I'd say an angel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> anyway. Or Patton, I guess. War- okay, sense. so <laughs> Grandpa says, Kendra, Seth, this is your grandfather. Uh, the voice said, 
It did sound like Grandpa, only magnified. I'm speaking from the secret attic where Dale, Warren, your grandmother, and I have taken refuge. The brownies have become infected and have turned against us. Do not open your door until we come for you in the morning. Without adults in your room, you will be totally safe from harm. We expect to pass the night without incident here as well. Seth and Kendra stared... Oh, Seth stared at Kendra, not quite into her eyes. She realized that he could not see her as distinctly as she could see him. That's very good, good powers. That's very good detail. It says that Grandpa repeated the message two more times. On the third time, he added more at the end. The brownies are only permitted in the house from sunset to sunrise, so we'll evacuate in the morning. We're sorry we didn't see this coming. The brownies are an insular community, virtually never in contact with the other creatures at Fablehaven. Their habitations beneath the yard enjoy many of the same protections as his house. Even so, we should have known the plague would find a way. Life finds a way. <laughs> Sorry to disturb you. Try to get some sleep. <laughs> yeah, right, Seth said, switching on the bedside lamp. Just what we needed, Kendra sighed. Evil brownies. <laughs> I wonder what they look like. Don't even consider peeking. I know, of course not. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> <laughs> when Grandpa's like, try to get some sleep. So it's like, yeah, right. That's like, not going to happen. Gonna happen. <laughs> I just love Kendra's reaction. Like, it says, like, hmm, I wonder what they look like. And so like, Kendra's like, don't even think about it. Don't, don't. But, we're not but doing this again. This is where the maturity comes in. Yeah. He knows now the difference between being stupid and being smart. Mm-hmm. That, opening the door to check and see what the brownies look like, very stupid. And he also goes over to the window, and he sees Tanu as a shadow out there, and he's like, no, 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 don't open the window. And he sees some dark fairies, and so they find they figure out that, like, if they weren't going to get changed by the brownies, if they try to go out the window, they'd get changed by the dark fairies. Mm-hmm. So they're t- trapped. A very, right very impressive trap. Because, I mean, if your house is being taken over, what are you going to do? Like, if your house is on fire and you're on the in the attic, what are you going to do? You're going to go out the window and drop mm-hmm. down to the ground. Yeah. That's basically what they were trying to do is flush them out so they can get them. There's another part that I think is really funny. Hold on, let me find it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Seth put his ear against the door. I can't hear anything. There are probably ten of them patiently waiting on the far side, ready to pounce. Brownies are shrimps. All I need are some heavy boots, a pair of shin guards, and a weed whacker. (laughs) But the the, the image made Kendra giggle. That's where we. That's that's one thing I love. Like, he's joking around, let, let lightening the mood, making yeah. Kendra laugh a bit, coping, coping. True, <laughs> but I feel like that was partially intentional. Like, he wasn't actually planning on doing that. Oh no, but he just wanted to cheer up Kendra. Like, that's what he said. He that he's the bravest is the one he has Kendra there to protect. Mm-hmm. It's also just part of his nature, you know. Mm-hmm. Just like joke around. He's he's a jokester. Like it's every male in this Sor- family. The Sorensen slash Burgess gene of sarcasm and recklessness. <laughs> it's a dangerous combination. Indeed. It's really, let's be honest, Grandpa and Grandpa. Grandma and Grandpa screwed them over. Like the combination of the Burgess line and the Sorensen line. These kids never had a chance. The ultimate power, I think you mean. <laughs> Snarkiness <laughs> and recklessness come together. <laughs> and they form Seth. <laughs> Not really Kendra as much, but Seth. Kendra, gets, Kendra got grandma's sassiness. <laughs> Seth gets the, the male gene of the Burgess line. Even though it goes to grandma. Anyway. <laughs> wait. Oh, wait, no, it's an uncle. I was about to say, wait, is Lena grandma's grandmother? 
But no, I think it's her great great aunt. We still need to ask him if they ever had. They oh, didn't yeah. have kids though, because I feel like we would know. But like, would we? But would we? But would we? But would we? There you go, Brandon. If you're looking for <laughs> a reason to write Patton Burgess's autobiography series, that make him have a kid. <laughs> that would be so cute. I want Patton. them to have children. No, but yeah. So in that case, Lena is like grandma's second or third aunt. Well, I don't aunt. think it's actually like that Patton's her like grandfather. I think it's more yeah, like it's her great uncle. So that's it's what I'm like saying. she's so, related to well, Lena yeah. is grandma's great aunt. Something like that. And also if, I need the family tree in front of me to like yeah, think I about this too. through. Like, but, how many brothers did Patton have? Like what what did the family because a bunch of oh, people Oh we know he had an uncle. I don't know. <laughs> so wait, is Warren directly descended then? That's the thing. I don't is know. Is Warren Lena's grandkid? I don't think so. I This is another reason why I think Brandon Mills should write the series. Just give me I'm a family tree. I'm confused about the family tree. <laughs> I need to actually look at this and be like, wait. Because in order for them all to them be as? cousins. Because, because like, yeah, they Warren all have and Dale to be, are second cousins. And Warren still has, he's Warren Burgess, so he still has the surname. And so, so he would have to be. And well, that was okay. That was, Ruth, okay. That was this is my certain, like, okay. maiden name. Wasn't Fun it? fact: Ruth? I am a genealogist, and for them to be second cousins, they have to have the same great grandparents. Is that what they are? It was second cousins, or is it? That's third what or fourth? I thought. I thought they said second cousins. I think it's like in the first or second book when they're like Dale. He's a cousin. I think it's second cousins. If it's third, second. They are my cousins. Anyway. So, if they're second cousins, what I think is that their great-grandparents, the Burgess probably, is a brother of Patton. That's what I would guess. So, that, that would make Patton both of their great-uncle. Like, great-great-uncle. So, whatever a Burgess you brother. Grand-uncle. So, there's, it's probably Patton's brother that they're descended from directly. Uh-huh. But they're still related to Patton. So he's probably like a great grand uncle. Yeah. Or however, I always get confused. It still makes it that. weird with having Lena be like your great great aunt. Like just. <laughs> You're more like my great 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 great. Are you finished? Great great aunt. Quality movie. How many times have we quoted that in these things? Goodness. A lot today, actually. Anyway. I would love to see a family tree on the Burgesses. Please and thank you. That would you. actually help a lot. Okay. And also, okay, so they finally managed to get back in bed after they've like, confirmed that, yeah, we're screwed. Yeah. And <laughs> I think they do get a little bit of sleep. They but do. But I think... it's, it's right before that when, like, all right, let's, let's just go to bed, pretend it's a regular night. And Seth's like, okay, we'll try. And uh, Kendra goes, good night, Seth. Don't let the brownies bite. <laughs> I mean, come on, Seth. I can try. <laughs> and then Seth, I think, says that, like, um, he, like, kept, like, waking up. You know, like, when, like, you're about mm-hmm. to fall asleep and you kind of, like, jerk awake. He's, like, kept doing that because, yeah. you know. Starting. The thought know. of the dark creatures in the house, you know. A lot closer this to is, home. This is kind of, you know, deja vu almost of the first book. Yeah. But everyone else got to safety before yeah. anything bad happened. So, Ooh. Because Warren's there. Just kidding. <laughs> you know, you think Warren would have made a difference in the first book if he'd been there? 100%. I think he would, too. 
like he probably would have snuck up to the attic and like let Seth had like like he would have like let Seth had a peek because he understood the reckless nature and he probably would have said no hang on that's true actually like he would have probably tried to get through to Seth beforehand and be like hey I agree this is serious maybe give him a glimpse as they're coming into the yard right off the bat and then send him upstairs that's so true Warren definitely would have been like I'll let you take a peek but like for good reasons but also Mm -hmm. because he Seth is Warren and Warren and Seth are Patton and everything so like (laughs) They have the same, you know, he knows thought he processes. <laughs> like, They're seriously. just constantly reincarnations of Patton. <laughs> Basically. So, yeah, anyway, sorry. That was that interesting, though. We can talk real. about that more. Yeah. That was interesting. What? How would it be different with Warren? <coughs> but, um, so, yeah, they wake up. And they hear someone on the stairs, and it's Warren. And he's like, don't open the door. (laughs) There are booby traps. (laughs) And also, it's kind of... Oh, also, when uh, when they hear, like, the stairs creaking, and Seth says, who's there? I I had a little bit of a flashback to Book 1. Like, Mm -hmm. when they were having, like, all the false voices. Yeah. And, like, they couldn't be sure. That's true. Like, this time, like, like direct sunlight hits, and so they they know we're good. But, like, Mm -hmm. I just had, like, a little bit of, like, oh, that there's a little trauma there. Like, Seth being like, hang on, we got to be careful. Who is it? A Taylor Swift lyric just came into my mind. (laughs) I think I've seen this film before. (laughs) And I didn't like the ending. (laughs) That kind of fits. Thanks, well, this one, this ending's different. Yeah. So Warren's like, yeah, so um, there's like three crossbows pointed at your door right now. There's a shotgun. <laughs> and a bunch of stuff. So uh, just yank the door open and stay out of the way. Yeah. They do so. Three arrows fly in. They're like, mm-hmm. like all right. I love the pig, the illustration that we Oh, get yeah. This hallway. is so awesome that he actually illustrated. There's just like trip wires going everywhere, a bunch of Axes. swords, crossbows, an axe, pulleys, a, a bear trap. Wait, where's the bear trap? I see <laughs> right down oh, in, I see, the, I in the left side corner, the down left side corner. Like, yeah, it has like. Yeah, a mace. Like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, seriously, they like. Holes have been carved out in of the wall in yeah, order to make room. Yeah, this for is these a good traps. visualization of, because like the brownies are so amazing and ingenuitive, you would expect it to be this like, yeah, like, intricate, intricate. Yes. Yeah, because Warren says like, you know, I was gonna try and disarm them, but they're all like interconnected. I don't know which wire Fail goes safes. where. Yeah, some set off multiple traps. He's like, this is too complicated. Like we don't have time for this. Because the brownies came in and got the register, mm-hmm. and so they don't know how much time they have before other dark creatures can enter the house. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, we got to get out of here. And yeah. Seth <laughs> comes up with a brilliant idea. This is the best part. Seth is like, wait, why don't I just shove the rocking horse down the stairs to set off the, the traps? And I love Warren being like, yes, <laughs> do it. Like, <laughs> Warren's like, that's actually kind of a good idea. <laughs> and you also know he wants to see it. Yes. And then Kendra's like, okay, <laughs> I'll no. close the door after you. After <sighs> and you I love, like, upstairs. Seth gets it into position and is about to push it down. 
And Seth's like, wait, why have I never thought of this before? Like, <laughs> this would have been so much fun. And the quote, like, one of my favorite quotes is, why did fabulous ideas tend to occur to him at the wrong time? Yeah. I feel it's <laughs> like, so hard. man, why didn't I try writing this down the stairs before? <laughs> like, I had a full summer to do this last year. Come on, what was I thinking? <sighs> and so, um, <laughs> after, like, they hear all the banging, like, a shot, couple shots go off, all that jazz. And Seth's like, that was awesome. Kendra's like, you are psychotic. Mm-hmm. And Warren's like, yeah, that was kind of awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm sorry, Kendra. It was pretty cool. Uh, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a guy. And then Kendra's like, all boys belong in insane asylums. <laughs> I think also, it would be pretty cool, though. <laughs> probably. As long as I was behind bolt. Yeah, glass. as long as you don't actually get hit by a crossbow. Yeah. Well, one thing I thought was incredible, like, a gunshot goes off blasting a hole through the door and then a crossbow quarrel I noticed that too through the hole I know I've never like noticed that before I was like well, that's actually genius but that is such also accuracy yeah like wow these brownies evil brownies know what they're doing a little too well honestly especially if they came at like different angles like maybe the shotgun blows in like going at like 30 degrees and yeah then it goes in at like 330. So, like, it's still passing the hole but going at different angles so that if it, the shotgun would get the first one, the crossbow would. I expect, I expect nothing less, as you mm-hmm. said. There goes Ken, uh, Kendra. <laughs> Jessica's phone. Yeah, two for two. <laughs> and so they get down the stairs without, you know, much trouble because most of the traps got set off. They get to the bottom. and Of course, that's just the attic stairs. Yeah, that's one set of stairs. And then Seth sees a piece of wood, and he's like, wait, is that part of Mendigo? And Warren's like, yeah, the brownies dismantled him and put parts of him all throughout the house. And then Seth is, like, reaching for it, and Warren, like, stops him. And he's like, it's part of a booby trap. Like, do not touch those. Which is sad. So no Mendigo for the rest of the book. Yeah. So Mendigo is, um, oh, what's the word? Out of commission. Out of commission. Thank you. And then you hear grandma and grandpa, and they're like, are you guys okay? <laughs> we, we heard shots. <laughs> we heard a big commotion. Like, and they're like, yeah, we pushed the rocking horse down the stairs. Still alive. <laughs> and so it's funny. And they're like, don't come over here. Like, we have lots of traps, too. And so Warren is like, here, I'll guide each of you one by one through the hallway and down the stairs. Once again, MVP. Yeah. Exactly. Without Warren, I would not be able to do it very it's well. exactly the same thing he did with the choke pods. Guys, them all through. It's like, yeah. dodge, duck, roll, roll. <laughs> stop, 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 go, go, go. And so this, <laughs> this is kind of funny because Grandpa's like, oh, I'll go first. And then he's, like, slowly going down the hallway and, like, and Warren's, like, coaching him. And it's so funny. <laughs> Because, let's see. Um, Grandpa made an increasing number of snappy yeah, comments I was, as yeah, impatient around his composure. <laughs> He's, I just, like, can imagine, like, Grandpa slowly losing his patience and being like, oh, like, this is, like, just getting just frustrated. This stressful situation. He's, like, getting more and more angry and just, like, at the situation. It's so funny. <laughs> but, yeah, they all make it out. They find out that all of the vehicles have been sabotaged. Mm-hmm. So they don't have really no way out of the preserve except through... Yeah. <clears throat> and, and they don't have any safe havens except for the pods. So, they're like, mm-hmm. we got to make a break for it. Yeah. And so, so... They gather the, some supplies that they can, and then they get in the cart that they have, like a hand cart looking thing, and then they have Hugo 
pull it and they kind of like make a dash for the pond. Mm-hmm. And so basically what we, who we have on the roster at this point, we have Grandpa and Grandma, Seth and Kendra, Dale and Warren. Mm-hmm. Siblings, siblings, married couple. <laughs> <laughs> Three pairs, how convenient. Yeah. But I love this bit because, like, they make it almost all the way to the pond. They defend themselves from, like, the fairies with, like, flash powder that we mm-hmm. saw in the first book. Nice callback. Love yeah. that. But they get there, and there's three dark satyrs guarding the entrance. Mm-hmm. And, this, and Hugo's just ready to plow through them. And genius move from the villains. They, the two of them take a third satyr and launch him up over Hugo and into the cart. Genius yeah, move. that was crazy. And who's the one who takes them out? Dale! <laughs> I was so surprised. I was like... He did do something. <laughs> Sorry. He did something. I was so you proud. You go, Dale. It's his time to shine. He's like, Warren's been doing a lot. It's my turn. <laughs> like, and Warren does something. He, like, yanks Grandpa out of the way from being tackled or yeah. bitten. And just Dale just, he says, I'm going out like a boss. And he just tackles him out of the cart. And doesn't get... He's wrestling this probably, like, 200-pound goat man who yeah. can turn into shadow with just a bite. And he doesn't get bitten, which is and the more impressive part bitten. to me. So... And then, hero moment from Hugo. Hugo, without any prompting, shoves the cart through the hole, mm-hmm. past the other two satyrs. Clo- well, actually, no. Clothesline to the same. Sabers. Oh yeah, he he says that like they were coming from different sides, and he was like it was like an umpire calling out, and he like or safe backhands safe. them or yeah safe, and he like backhands them both at the same time. I think that's so funny. Flying, and then he just <laughs> goes. And Dale managed to disengage and like reset before Hugo just grabs him and books it. Yeah, and I just love right after that, um, Dale gets um, Hugo sets Jail on his feet after they all make it back into the pond. Dale looks a little shaken. Then Warren comes out and he's like, nice work, big brother. Checks over him, makes sure he's okay. Mm-hmm. Then hugs him. Yeah. Like, so there you go, Dale fans. There's some points for Dale in my book. Good Dale he moment. just went up a couple points yeah, in my that book. Was, that was sick. Go, Dale. <laughs> he did something good. <laughs> good job, Dale. Good job, Dale. We love you. Of we, we appreciate you. We don't love you yet, but we appreciate you. Sorry, I still love your brother more, but <laughs> <laughs> you did good. You did good. So, yeah, they get there, and there it is the pond, and the area around it is full of creatures. And this is this part's really interesting to me because this is the first time we've, like, seen like lots of, of these, yeah, yeah, even mentioned. And, like, all these creatures together I think is super interesting because you get to see – because usually when we encounter creatures, it's, like, one at a time. Like, the satyrs – and, like, one time with, like, the satyrs and the nipsies, but, like – we get like satyrs, dwarves, dryads, homodryads, centaurs, astrids, astrids, and like other like ones that are like oh they're like animals, exotic birds. Yeah, all these different like magical creatures all gathered in one place. It's really really interesting. And of course, that means Seth is in heaven. Yeah, he's like they can't get away from me. <laughs> <laughs> We're all stuck here together. I get to interact, and nobody can tell me otherwise, because we're all locked in here. So yeah. Grandpa can't even get mad. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so, what does he do? <laughs> he goes up and he talks to the centaurs. <laughs> Facepalm. <laughs> After literally everybody told him it was a bad idea. Yeah. 
Yeah. Including Doran, who yeah. he respects. Doran was like, the centaurs are stuck up and they don't care about anyone except themselves. Do not go talk to them. Shouldn't have said, he should have said, oh, you should definitely go over there. They they have a, a lot of really great reading facts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so funny. And we meet another satyr of Fablehaven. Oh, gosh. Verl. Who immediately is like hitting on Kendra. And not just Kendra. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Honestly, I think the, like, so later on, he kind of imprints on Kendra and just starts like showering her with affection and yeah. like, like, he's kind of obsessed with her. But I honestly, like, in, in this moment, he also does some, like, he ogles some of the hamadryads and the dryads. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of funny because Seth kind of picks up that, like, Verl is, like, kind a of, nerd. like, a nerdy, yeah, yeah. satyr. And, like, Newell and Dorn are, like, the cool guys yeah. of Fablehaven. So it's kind of, like, a funny dynamic. And that, like, Dorn says that, like, Verl's going, like, a little crazy because all these, like, beautiful dryads and hamadryads are all stuck here with him. And he's, like girl crazy basically but i honestly i honestly think like the reason he kind of like imprints on kendra like later on where he's like only focusing in on her is because she was kind of nice to like she didn't like reject him outright like all the yeah. dryads and hematryads probably did <laughs> she's like oh hi nice to meet you and he's like oh pretty ladies giving me time of day yeah love <laughs> it's kind of weird but you know it doesn't it's not anything like bad so <laughs> so yeah um Grandpa is like, Seth, Warren, and Dale, you set up the tents, and we're going to go down to the pond to try and talk to Lena. And Seth's like, yeah, I don't want to help set up the tents. So that's when he goes and talks to the centaurs. I go talk to cool creatures. Yeah. (laughs) So he doesn't really get anywhere with the centaurs, obviously, because they don't give a crap. (laughs) But luckily, Kendra and Grandpa have better luck. Yeah. I love this scene. Yeah. They did manage to get, like, a picture of Patton to take with them from the house. And Which was that's, a genius move on Kendra's Yeah, that part. was super smart. And so she, like, starts asking her about the safe and stuff in the manor. And Lena's like, you know, Patton only told me to, like, ever, like, tell anyone about that in, like, an emergency or whatever. And she kind of is, like, not really saying anything. And then <laughs> this part is actually kind of funny. Um, Kendra's like... But Fablehaven's in danger. And then Lena's like, again? (laughs) And I was kind of like, you know, that's kind of how I feel sometimes. Like, Fablehaven's in danger. Again? Freaking again? (laughs) But, yeah. And then when she shows Lena the picture of Patton, that convinces her to, like, to tell them. And I think that's a really beautiful moment. It's just kind of, like, appealing to, like, that part of... Lena that was kind of attached to her mortality and attached mm-hmm. to Patton and her memory of Patton and I think that's like really cute mm-hmm. and I also really loved like this line when like Kendra does bring, finally bring out the picture and she's like just trying to get that last little nudge to push Lena over the edge to helping them and like Lena like it's like it says when she sees the picture Lena's eyes widen her face broke the surface of the water and she mouthed Patton's name don't make us drag you under warned a voice Touch me and so help me, I'll abandon you, Lena murmured, entranced by the image Kendra held. And I just love, like, even so especially, like, she murmured it, like, you know that was said with such fierceness. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, my gosh, go queen! And there's, like, another part, because, like, that's her, like, threatening to leave the pond. There's another part that kind of gets me that, like, you kind of see that Lena isn't completely, like, 
a naiad again mm-hmm. when Kendra asks about the bowl for the fairy the, the fairy queen's bowl and Lena says you know it's their most prized possession but then she says oh no like we like she she says there mm-hmm. and then she says we so it's kind of like her saying like unconsciously like thinking still thinking of herself not as like a true naiad mm-hmm. yeah especially like later on like where eyes are about to say goodbye kendra says are you happy lena and lena responds happy enough my sisters have striven to rehabilitate me mm-hmm. the glimpse of Patton was thoughtful although it made old wounds ache yeah like, that old mortality is still a part of her but it's just like she's been in there enough time and like been brainwashed to the point where like it's she sees it as a negative thing mm-hmm. so yeah they get the info they learn that the safe appears once a week for one minute and so that they have to be in it's in the old mansion that seth accidentally stumbled, stumbled into. into perchance Quinkity. And it's, like, on, like, the top floor in a bedroom, and it only appears for one hour, and she gives them the, the for code. one minute. Oh. Yeah. She gives them the code to open it. And so they're like, okay, we have to do this this week, obviously, and so they hatch a plan. Yep. And one thing I always thought was kind of interesting, we can cut this out if it doesn't really fit the vibe, but, like, mm. you know where it says, um, like, she's giving the combination, Grandpa's writing it down, 32, 22, 31, he said, giving Lena a funny look. His former housekeeper averted her eyes shyly. Why did she do that? Like, why, where, why was there shyness there? Um, I mean, she didn't even like talk to Grandpa. I don't think That's she really true. talks to mortals, but she feels like she'll talk to Kendra. She has like enough relationships still with Kendra that she'll talk to Kendra. I feel like that's kind of the vibe. Yeah, I don't know. It just it seemed weird to me. Like that that exchange was interesting. Hmm. We can cut that out. You're good. Okay. Um. But yeah. So. I love Seth's, like, everybody recognizing Seth. <clears throat> but, yeah, so they're ready to head over to, like, the mansion because they're, like, they're formulating a plan. They're trying to decide who's going to go. Mm-hmm. And Seth says, I'm coming, too. Yeah. And he gives some very good reasons. And everybody recognizes that Warren's on his side almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Warren's like, he makes a good point. Yeah. So Seth's like, I've been there before. I know where this room is. I've seen what's inside, and I know a good way to get in. When I was there, I hadn't drunk the milk yet that day, so I was blind, and that afforded me some protections. Mm-hmm. So, like, okay, we'll follow that plan. He's like, I can be an extra person. If you fail, I'll hang. I can hang back, and if you fail, I'll come back, and I'll I'll, I'll either be back up, I'll, or I will return and tell everybody what happened. And like he makes enough good points that his extremely overprotective grandparents have to let him go, and I'm like, dang boy, mm-hmm. they're all really starting to recognize your usefulness, your usefulness, your maturity, yeah. and your capability, capabilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm like, I was like, where you go, Seth? Yeah, I, I like that Warren like sticks up for him a bit because mm-hmm. you know the past couple books, Grandpa and Grandma are just they're so protective of obviously their grandchildren because they're their grandchildren and they're so young. But they also have to start to face the fact that, first of all, the grandchildren are the ones who, like, saved everyone. Like, Kendra and Seth have continually saved everyone. But also that they're becoming more capable and they have special powers that make them more useful in these situations. And also, like, there's a reason they're picking these kids to be the heirs of Fablehaven. Yeah. And so they're like, okay, we understand. And also, at this point, 
there's no way off the preserve, so mm-hmm. might as well. Ride or die. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. But they're like, no, Kendra, you can't come because your eyes can't be blinded to magical creatures. But now the problem, the second, is that even if their eyes are blinded, if Hugo comes out leaving a cart of people inside of it, they're going to get attacked. Mm-hmm. Because this pond is completely surrounded by dark creatures who are just waiting for the opportunity to snag somebody who's just who's either seeking for asylum or le- seeking asylum or leaving asylum. And so, of course, they... Well, not of course. Like so, they decide to have a distraction, mm-hmm. and they round up a bunch of the magical creatures to to be a distraction, charge out to provide cover for them to slip through. Yeah, and they need the centaurs to lead the distraction because they know how capable they are. That like really no like no cr- dark creature can stand up to them except for a dark centaur. Yeah, they're faster than any other creature mm-hmm. there. Strong, great fighters. Yeah course that is a problem because they are all those things they are very superior supremacists they're like they're very arrogant (laughs) very arrogant and like they don't believe anything as is they don't even believe it's worthy of their time yeah and also when seth went to talk to them earlier one of them so they're both the two of them are named cloudwing and broadhoof and one of them said like oh your grandfather has like mismanaged Fablehaven, he shouldn't even be in charge. And so, like, they're just, like, disrespecting, and Seth is already just like, man, centaurs are jerks, like. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, they say, okay, um, probably our best bet, play up to their, play to their arrogance, mm-hmm. flattery, send the kids. Yeah. So, that was your first mistake, let's be honest. <laughs> so, they send Kendra and Seth over to appeal to their arrogance yeah and kendra's like remember seth we are here to beg and she even says like we are here to manipulate them and like convince them to join us and she's like you have to beg don't let them get under your skin yeah just beg and if they say no we tried and Seth's like done Mm -hmm. yep i can do that (laughs) no you can't can you seth can you really (laughs) so like immediately they get over there and they start talking to, like, the centaurs and Kendra, playing the port beautifully. She's like, we're playing a distraction, something that will help us retrieve an item that can save Fablehaven. But we, these, this distraction is leaderless. It needs you to help them be all that they can be. Yeah, basically. <laughs> She's laying it on. We need you for the American army. Yeah. <laughs> Uncle Kendra. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, but, yeah, so she does a very good thing. And it seems like it almost sways the centaurs for a bit, and then they're like, nah, you guys have already messed up enough. This is just going to be a useless charade. We're not even going to help. And so, and then Seth just goes, that's it. Yeah, he just kind of blows up after that. And he, <laughs> oh, man. It's funny because he starts, like, ripping into the centaurs, and Kendra repeatedly tries to, like, pull him away and be like, no, no, no. Literally. Physically. She she literally tries to pull him away, and he, like, like, will not go. And, yeah, he says some savage things to the centaurs. And he's like, let's see, one of them is, fine, Seth Spat, but I'll be going out there tomorrow. Good luck ignoring the fact that you don't even have the courage of a human boy. And I love, like, the, like, 
the fact that the centaurs they only start listening when they start insulting and they, yeah they, they like look at each other it's like did he really just say what he just said mm-hmm. like and he actually they actually do like so okay we're going to pretend i didn't hear what i just heard and they give him like two or three chances to take it back yeah and instead of doing that, and, like, Seth knows exactly what he's doing. He's prodding, he's provoking everything. To the point where Broadhoof has been so insulted, which didn't take much, let's be honest. No, it didn't. He says, nope, I challenge you to a duel, duel like, to like, I, like it is my right to restore my honor. And Seth straight up says, no. Mm-hmm. I'm not dueling you. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. He's got quite the nerve, like... <laughs> Ah, and also like no, sur- like no survival instincts. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, yeah, the Broadhoof gets like so angry that like, first of all, he's been insulted by like a little human boy, and that he denied his like right to a duel, and he said no, and he's just like, the only way that I will, um, forgive you, is if you like. What does he say? There's something like exactly. Like for forgiveness? Yes. He said, your words are unforgivable, and yeah. yet I am not ignorant of the to the reality that they were spoken in a misguided ploy to gain my assistance. So they're seeing. Yeah, they saw right through. <laughs> in counterpoint to the awkward flattery you attempted at first. Yeah. For the insolence of denying my challenge, mm-hmm. I this should strike you down where you stand. But in acknowledgement of the desperate valor, valor behind your words, I will stay my hand for the moment and forget this conversation happened. If you drop to your knees, beg my forgiveness, claim insanity, and declare yourself a craven coward. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. <laughs> Seth hesitated. Kendra elbowed him. He shook his head. No, I won't do that. If I did, I really would be a coward. All I take back is saying my grandfather mismanaged the preserve. You're right that we were pretending to flatter you. And right there, Broadhoof draws his sword. Yeah, Broadhoof is like, I'm going to kill this kid, basically. And then um, Seth says, I have a better idea. If you lead the diversion tomorrow and I come back alive, I'll duel with you. Then you can satisfy your honor the right way. And then Broadhoof agrees. This boy. It's insane. <laughs> this boy. He literally insulted a centaur on purpose. Multiple times. Yeah. And just with, like. With opportunities to renege. Pushed him to the very edge to where he drew his sword and was like about ready to like chop his head ready off. To smite stab him, yeah. him. Yeah. And Seth manages to like get them to agree. And then finally. When they do that, Kendra's finally able to pull Seth away from the situation, and she's like, are you crazy? Debatable. And then Seth's like, oh, I got them to say yes. And Kendra's like, you, you, what? (laughs) And then (laughs) he's like, I got them to help us, and... You know they were arrogant. You knew they may not help, but you insisted on insulting. Oh, I know what you're talking about. And then Seth's like, but I'm not dead. He said, patting his torso as if he was shocked to find himself intact. You should be, and you probably will be. Not for two days. Don't speak so soon. We haven't told Grandma and Grandpa what happened yet. Don't tell them, Seth pleaded, suddenly desperate. Things are bad enough. I'll do whatever you want. Just don't tell. Kendra threw up her hands. Now you beg! <laughs> That's like one of my favorite parts. I know. She's like, now, She's like, now of all times, now you, you really? 
now you know how to beg. <laughs> so yeah, he got them to agree, but you know, at the peril of his own life, because now he's agreed to a duel with Broadhoof. A centaur. Yep. But he has to survive the manor first, so <laughs> Seth just convinced the centaurs into leading the charge the next morning for the distraction. Yeah. In his own Seth way. Mm-hmm. In the most Seth way, let's be honest. The most, yeah. The most Seth way. That's so, yeah. True. We got we got the centaurs, and now the plan is underway. Mm-hmm. And good golly. This is actually, like, I am very impressed with all the creatures. Like, they, they know what they're sacrificing here, and they know that right. not all of them are going to make it, especially, like, the fairies. Like, yeah. nobody else can really help them. That's true. Yeah, they just have to charge out. Like, the satyrs, like, they can work together. They can see each other coming. But, like, the fairies, it's one-on-one. Like, they can get, they can't really get backup from the other creatures the way mm-hmm. that the dryads, hamadryads, and the satyrs, and even the centaurs can. Yeah, that's true. There's no backup for the fairies. Just just thought about that. They're being not selfish for once. Mm-hmm. Mostly because they're scared, but you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we get the that first part from Kendra's point of view. She's watching from the gazebo as all, like, the creatures line up at the, the opening in the hedge. And then Hugo with the cart. And they say that everyone is, like, underneath, like, a collapsed tent or, like, tarp or whatever in the cart. So it doesn't look like anyone's with Hugo. So, like, that's the master plan, you know. Mm-hmm. Sneak out under the cover of the distraction of everyone running out. Yeah. And then we have, like... We have tw- they, it gives us like some numbers. Twenty satyrs um make a run for it after the centaurs, couple hamadryads, and I love Xander's little side note like because like the joke has been that the satyrs have been like chasing the hamadryads and, oh, yeah. and the dryads and like trying to pursue them, and Kendra when she's watching the nymphs just run like beautifully and like super fast she's like no smitten satyr would ever chase down a hamadryad who did not wish to be caught. <laughs> Yeah, I do love that visual. It's just like, they only let the satyrs catch them if they want to, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is pretty great. And, um... Sorry, that just made me think in Hercules, like the animated Disney <laughs> movie, when Phil is chasing nymphs, the Nymphs, they can't the keep nymphs. their hands off me. <laughs> exactly. When they turn in, he's chasing them, they turn into trees, and then one of them slaps him with the branches. Well pretty much the same thing it is i mean it is the basically the same thing but yeah mm-hmm. that's what just made me think <laughs> i also find it funny that um the like the naiads actually took not not really funny but i found it interesting that the naiads took interest in yeah. what was happening like they're like surface and they're like what the heck is going on out there that's true that is interesting that they you know for once take interest in something outside of the pond mm-hmm but as soon as they see Kendra looking at them, they dive back in. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. I agree. So, yeah, the cart leaves, and gradually everybody comes back. And I love, like, how Brendan Mole kind of conveys, like, the anxiousness of, like, those who had stayed behind. Yeah. Like, it even says, um, um, as satyrs, fairies, and dryads returned... They were welcomed by embraces from friends. Most then turned anxiously to uh, to await the arrival of other loved ones. Mm-hmm. I felt that like that's like they risked a lot doing this for the Sorensons just yeah. to even have a shot. 
So I just I just thought that was really nice. And I think something that's interesting about this is that it shows like the trust that a lot of the creatures have in Grandpa Sorensen that they would even like agree to like talk to him and agree to like their plan. And I mean, I mean, that's why the centaurs didn't officially, like, originally agree to it. And I just think that's interesting that, like, it's not, we don't really, like, think about it much, but it's kind of one of the first, like, firsthand examples we see of Grandpa, like, being the caretaker, like, interacting with the magical creatures in a very direct way. And I think that's really interesting. And showing that he does have their respect. Yeah. Like, they respect him. They understand that he takes care of them that he's done his best mm-hmm. and like with few ex- few exceptions namely the centaurs being like yes he hasn't been doing much caretaking lately clearly yeah like they all respect him and understand that he's going he's going to do his best to help them so when he says that he has a plan he has a way to possibly save them they're gonna help him out mm-hmm. i think that's really cool another thing i think is interesting is right after where it says like they're waiting for their loved ones um kendra sees the the centaurs run back in and she says, only two arrows remain in Cloudwing's quiver, which kind of makes me think that he had to use a lot of arrows yeah. to, like, fight off the dark creatures, which, you know, that would be cool to, like, watch, like, to witness, because, like, the centaurs are just known for their prowess. Yes. So. But also pretty sad, because if you think about it, like, the creatures that he's shooting, for the most part, are just dark and light creatures. Like, what if Doran... Or what if Newell had been around and he had been trying to get, like, what if he'd been one of the ones impaled by an arrow? I, I don't think he's killing people, though. I don't know. Like, it says <sighs> later that he, like, um, Doran says that he saw Cloudwing pin, like, pin two dark satyrs to a tree. That could mean like it went through both of their chests and pinned them okay, to the tree. Okay, so we're thinking like Well, I'm just saying how else is it going to pin them? They're not wearing pants. Um, well, scruff? I don't know. Like, I'm I don't ju- know. I, but like the but like the thing in my mind is that like even though like they're dark creatures, the dark creatures aren't killing anyone. So would that give Cloudwing reason like ability by the treaty to but that's creatures i think that's different like the treaty binds the creatures to not allow them to uh, hurt mortals or at least that's my understanding yeah so but also that brings up the point like if seth and kendra had to kill a satyr would that absolve them of any protect protections i don't know in order to like if it's self-defense are you what should we call it? Are are you justified by the treaty? I don't know. I don't think the treaty is like a jury. That's <laughs> what I'm hard. saying. Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> I'm just. So I guess I'm kind of confused if the rules apply to the magical creatures or not. Well, I mean, I guess. I guess like, they not. are allowed. The dark creatures are allowed to harm humans. Like, well, I guess is it harming them? Because they 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 reasoned that they couldn't have killed Coulter. Yeah. Because he had not broken the treaty. Yeah. But that was still harm. But not... And it wasn't well, because they'd gone somewhere they should... A, a, sh- a shadow wasn't, like, harming him, though. I think so, personally. Like, if he's it's in the sun, bodily it's... bodily harm. It's biting him. Like, that can't feel good. <laughs> okay, but that's not, like, harm that will lead to his death. Okay, yeah, so maybe it won't lead to his death. But it does still, like... 
I don't know. For me, that, like, it's a bit of a gray area to me. Yeah, the treaty is a gray area, and but, like, I don't know. I almost think that, I think that's a good point to bring up the thing with culture, because I don't know if it makes me think that they can't kill them. Or, like, I don't know. I feel like we should continue, we should table this discussion and continue it towards the end. Okay. That's fair. Because, I mean, there's going to be a fight. There's going to well, be a fight. Well, but maybe in, like, certain areas they can kill them, but not any area. Kind of like how, like, if you go into a certain boundary, you know, like, they talk, he talks a lot about, like, boundaries. Like, Seth going into Growlis's domain, mm-hmm. Growlis could kill him because he crossed a boundary that he wasn't supposed to. But somewhere out in the middle of just right next to, like, the shrine, like, just outside the pond area, like, I don't know if that counts as, like... Uh, anything goes kind of area yeah you know what i mean Uh, maybe does the darkness does the darkness oh here's the thing like that's partially because like graulis has enough power to i think like the the treaty cannot bind him or same thing with um like um olak the gluten he had enough power that he could harm seth does in theory the plague give them additional powers, give make them powerful enough to harm, not kill, but harm without causing. Well, with, well, without like, I don't know, because with know. with Olak, he didn't agree to the treaty, but he was led in as a guest. That's and true. And so, because he didn't agree to the treaty, he could harm Seth. I think is how that works. True. Did Gralis agree to the treaty? I, can't I think remember. he did. I think he, I, did. he said he, it says he came here to die. So yeah, I think. I think he did. So that's why in his domain he could you know do whatever he wants. But without his domain, I don't. Unless he had enough power. Yeah. But in, in his current state, uh, he doesn't have enough power. Or willpower, for that matter. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think he can like stand up anyway. And then the, ah, interesting. So I wonder if it, like, it depends on, like, where you are in the preserve and whether you've agreed to the treaty. Hmm. But I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> well, that makes me wonder, like, in the first book, when Seth and Kendra were, like, looking out, looking for um their grandpa after Midsummer's Eve. Yeah. They go over and they steal from the soup, some of the soup from, from the, the ogress. Oh, from the ogress. Yeah. And she chases them. What would she have done to them if she could caught them? Could she have killed them? I don't know. Because I mean, stealing Nero messed up Errol when he had the gold. Yeah, the stolen gold, so he could like claim it back because it was his property. But did he? Was he? So you're saying could the ogres have attacked them because they were trying to like steal her soup? Yeah. I think so, maybe, because of Nero. Nero attack, yeah. yeah. But also, he didn't kill... What's his face? But then I, again, like... I keep, say, I keep thinking Christopher Vogel, whatever his name is. <laughs> I think that's... He couldn't kill him because... Yeah, because of the treaty, but he could, you know, rough him up. And I think there's also, like... 
the fact. Well, I I think we're going too deep in we're, this. I mean, this is what this podcast is for, but yeah. That's true. <laughs> but, mm, I think Because, like, I there's also, like, like, Kendra's like, able to get away from the imps and Muriel in the first book because, like, what because Grandpa she didn't said. she do anything. She's committed no n- mischief, yeah. done no magic. Exactly. Except for stealing stew. But they didn't actually, like, they didn't actually steal it. Newell... One of the satyrs actually cut the rope. I don't know how deep this gets she into drank, it. I don't she drank know. it. She drank it. I don't she know how the stew. Does the stew count as like the property the same as the gold bar from Nero? I don't know. And because, but because it wasn't a <laughs> affront against the imps and Muriel, she was able to get away. Wait, say that again. So like, does so if I like if you're a magical creature. If I hit you, does that give another magical creature the right to hit me or only you the right to hit me? I don't like, know. I might be too specific. I th- I don't think it has to do with, like, I think once you've broken, like, the mischief boundary or whatever, like Kendra did, I think you can, you have chosen to fully interact with magical creatures in a like cert like to a certain degree, and so I think like she could interact with them by like touching them, and they could touch her kind of thing, you know. But I don't know if any if magical creatures could really kill anybody in any certain place. I think you might have to be in like a certain boundary, or if the person does something to like harm you directly, maybe then you can retaliate. Yeah, I mean, Dale had a shotgun in the first book. Yeah, but the creatures were invading their space in the house. And so because they invaded the space and crossed that boundary, he could attack them. He had. So in this case, when the dark creatures are attacking, going back to, like, I think what started this discussion, mm-hmm. if, like, a dark satyr is charging at us, do we have the right to, if we have a shotgun, to take him down? Um... I'm not sure because the area, I don't know if the boundary of the area allows that or not because it's like neutral ground, like just outside the pond. Like they can't cross the boundary into the pond. So if they're in the woods. But just out in the woods, I feel like that's neutral ground. And I'm not sure if that means that anyone has like a claim on that area. I feel like whoever has a claim on an area has the right to defend themselves in that area if someone crosses it and like wants to cause harm. Huh. I'm not sure. That's kind of how I interpret it, but maybe I just need to go back and read the specific things about the treaty and how that works. Because maybe, maybe I'm thinking about it all wrong. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. You know, a kind of, another kind of discussion that goes along this point. We touched it on it um, a bit earlier, but um, when they're like formulating the plan and... Um, they have the difference of opinion between Grandpa and Warren. Mm, yeah. It's not quite the same topic, but it's, similar, I, it's something though. that we haven't covered that I wanted to make sure we did. Yeah, it is along so the same lines. It's back in chapter 17? It's in the previous chapter. Preparations, I think. Yeah. Because it's right before they go and talk to the centaurs. Yes. And, um, like... Yeah. They're discussing why it is that Tanu and Coulter can keep their minds, whereas someone like Newell can't. Yeah, yeah. Grandpa's talking about, like, how the nature of the magical creatures when they turn dark because of the plague, 
their natures have changed. And that's why they act differently as opposed to the humans whose, like, physical form changes but not really their natures. Mm Because humans have the ability to choose how they act as opposed to magical creatures. It's their nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's one quote he has. um, The creatures of Fablehaven are light or dark. Some are inherently builders. Some are nurturers. Some are playful. Some are inherently destroyers, some are deceivers, some crave power. Some love light, some love darkness, but change their nature and without much resistance, their identities follow. Like a fairy becoming an imp or an imp regaining her fairyhood. I love how after I have that though, Grandpa looks at Grandma and he's like, am I waxing too philosophical? And she's like, a little. Yeah. <laughs> and then Warren, like the next page over, mm-hmm. well... Seth is saying, so Newell acted differently because he isn't Newell anymore, Seth concluded. The plague totally overwhelmed him. He's something else. That's the basic idea, Grandpa said. <laughs> and Warren, I think, is a little exasperated <laughs> by this conversation. He says, if a starving bear ate my family, even though he may have had no wicked intentions, even though he was just being a bear, his nature has made him a menace, and I'm going to shoot him. <laughs> He's He sounded exasperated by the conversation. <laughs> But I do really like that, like, it's not just he's thinking about, like, ah, oh, philosophy, I don't like it. It's no. honestly that he has, like, a different has a world different... view of, yeah. these, of these creatures. Yeah, he does. Um, and, like, because Grandma agrees, yes, the bear would need to be stopped. And, um, like, they, like, Grandma and Grandpa seem to believe that, like, you cannot, you're not going to blame the bear the same way you're going to w- blame a serial killer who kills your family. Yeah. And Warren agrees with that. He's like, I understand that. It's just I don't have the same opinion. Like he says, I can think of many creatures who have chosen to carry out good or evil actions regardless of their nature. I hold mm-hmm. dark creatures more accountable for what they are and what they do as than Stan does. I really like like this is a question, like everybody's being respectful, everybody's being understanding. Yeah. They're just saying, I believe something else. And I think that really does kind of bring up the topic of like nature versus nurture in like in human philosophy, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, there are some people who are raised to be, like, like they are just raised in situations where they are taught nothing else than other to be, like, have good nature or to have bad a bad nature just because that is the only thing they've been exposed to. And I feel like you're going to blame that person for being a horrible person a bit less as opposed to someone who knew the good, who understood like, who followed, like, a good path, but then chose then to diverge. It's an interesting topic. Yeah, that is very psychology-based mm-hmm. discussion. I agree. And I like, there's, I feel like there's a quote that I liked, but I'm trying to remember. Let me find it. Like, their nature does not excuse bad decisions. Yeah. But it does change your view of a person. Of the person who commits the, the bad de- decision as well. Yeah. And I feel like the nature thing is more about the creatures because um, I feel like people, yeah, they have a certain nature maybe to be brought up, but on, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hold on. Woo, train has been derailed. <laughs> well, like it also brings up that it's not also necessarily cut or dry. Like there is some gray area because like you have creatures of light who do bad things. We have the naiads, and there are creatures of darkness who do good things. Graulas, or the goblins, who are reliable in patrolling a dungeon or something like that. 
there's not like necessarily good versus bad. There is some overlap. Yeah. But I don't know. It's just interesting. Okay. So kind of going back to what I was talking about with humans, I think this is the one I was thinking of. Because this is back when Seth was asking why do, or Kendra was asking why do the creatures change so completely and that like goes along with like their nature and what we were talking about. Mm -hmm. And then Seth wondering why um, Tanu and culture like kept like their, kept themselves after being transformed. And Grandpa says, you ask a difficult question. The short answer is that as a non-magical mortal beings, humans are affected differently by the plague. The rest require speculation. For the most part, unapologetically, magical creatures are what they are. They tend to be less aware, self-aware, self-aware than humans, relying more on instinct. We humans are conflicted beings. Our beliefs don't always harmonize with our instincts, and our behavior doesn't always reflect our beliefs. We constantly struggle with right and wrong. We wage war between the person we are and the person we hope to become. We have a lot of pain. We have a lot of practice wrestling with ourselves. As a result, compared to magical creatures, we humans are much more able to suppress our natural inclinations in order to deliberately choose our identities. So I like what he's saying there is that, like, we're not just kind of being acted upon by forces and that's what makes us act a certain way because that's kind of what happens to the magical creatures is that they're being acted upon by a dark force like a dark influence, and so that's why they are acting completely different than maybe what their nature is. But as humans, we have the choice to choose how we act in certain situations, and maybe sometimes we act according to how how we act with our natural inclinations, but we can choose to overcome those. And so I think that's what he was talking about, the difference between creatures and humans, is that humans have the ability to choose how they act instead of, you know, mm-hmm. being, you know, forced or influenced to act a certain way. Yeah. Our nature follows our decisions, whereas for the magical creatures, their decisions follow their nature. Yeah. Good summary. <laughs> I mean, pretty much just rephrase what Grandpa said later on, so it's okay. not really me. Well, it is an interesting conversation. Yeah. And I like that we have, like, a few pages dedicated to this. Like, oh, okay, let's get some philosophy in here. Yeah. I bet there's some questions related to it at the back in the reading guide. Probably. We'll probably dive into those at the end of this. And I feel like... When we finish this book. It connects to, like, the larger theme of that, like, mortals often influence creatures mm-hmm. more than creatures influence mortals. Because the mortals can choose to be influenced or not. But, like, the creatures, they kind of become influenced by the presence mm-hmm. of mortals, which is interesting. Yeah. Mm. Something about this topic is unlike the one we, like we've discussed earlier about like the treaty and stuff. It just um reminded me of like the scene in Percy Jackson where Chiron's talking to Percy like mortal Im- immortals are bound by certain rules. Like they cannot do certain things, but for mortals, they can do anything, go anywhere so long as they have the nerve. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Like, I thought of that too, actually. <laughs> mortals have, like, and even here in Fablehaven, mortals have, like, a certain, like, freedom in what they can do. Whereas, the like, the magical creatures, especially in this case, are bound by treaty to the point where they cannot interfere in certain things. Whereas mortals, like, if you're smart enough, you're brave enough, you're good enough, like, if you're Patton Burgess, you can go anywhere, do anything, and 
honestly, you can change and grow more than anything ma- any magical creature can. Yeah. There's just no guarantee that you'll live through all these experiences. <laughs> True. And that's the caveat of it is that you can go anywhere, but if you cross a certain line, you expose yourself to more danger. Mm-hmm. That you better hope you're handle you're equipped to take. Yeah. That you better hope you're equipped to handle. Yeah, exactly. So, yes. Now I just have Chiron's voice going through my head. Mm-hmm. Go anywhere, challenge anyone, as long as you have the nerve. I hear it and Percy takes that and's like, okay, Aries, let's go. <laughs> I can challenge anybody. <laughs> like I, I specifically have it like when he thinks of that, like when Anthos like Percy, be careful. Like as he's like going up to face, no, not um, not Aries to face um, Atlas and Bakri. Oh. He acts like he he remembers and like you hear the quote in his head and he's thinking, yeah. so long as he has the nerve. I mean, and Atlas is just like, come on, little hero. Face a god, a titan, a giant, Mother Earth, you know. <laughs> Tartarus. Tartarus is like what creation itself, whatever, you know. It's nothing's too big for Perseus Jackson. <laughs> but that's a different podcast, so. Maybe one day. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. And so we go from Kendra's point of view, watching everyone go out past the hedge as a distraction and watching Hugo take the cart, to then Seth in the cart under a stuffy tent and he's like oh it's really hot under here (laughs) and he's like like, i want to get out of here we get a full page of him just contemplating oh my gosh i'm dying of heat stroke he's just like complaining to himself being like this is the worst (laughs) i would die for a breath of fresh air you probably would in this case (laughs) exactly it would lead to your death so or would it I, i guess that conversation anyway the very they make it to the manor. <laughs> yeah, and I also find it, I don't know if we covered this, but like they're specifically going in blind because yeah, literally. <laughs> so none of them have drunk the milk this morning. That's true. And they are like I feel like they're trying to really take advantage. I think of the treaty's mm-hmm. protections because yeah. if you are going around blind, even if you know that stuff's out there, it gives you an extra layer of protection due to your weakness. No, there's a. Um, Due, due to that disability Your, um, to, to see. Oh, there's a word. Fail? Ignorance. Ignorance. That's a good one. Thank you. I was thinking ignorance isn't bliss, but I was only remembering bliss, and I was like, what goes with that saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, so they're going in, like, because Seth, like, was like, well, yeah. when I went into the manor, I yeah, had drunk the milk, yeah. and I was able to get in, and I was probably able to be there for several minutes mm-hmm. before I saw, like, the twisty whirlwind, and I was like, oh, yeah. Gotta scoot. Exactly. That's that's why they're going without the milk. It's like, well, if Seth could do all that without the milk, I think we can try it too. Mm-hmm. So only problem, hmm. and we get a hint of this when they're approaching the manor. Seth sees dark strings coming from all around, like centering in on the thing in the preserve in in the manor, mm-hmm. and I really think that's because. Like, maybe Seth was able to avoid the specter in the manor for several minutes, but that was before the nail was added into the equation. Yeah. So we, so Seth, because he sees all these strings, he's like, oh, whatever's inside that manor must be the source of the plague. Mm-hmm. And therefore, reason stands to reason, is now much more powerful. More powerful and more active. And as well. more, ooh, yeah, good point. 
And so now, like, they go in. Um, um, Grandma and Grandpa go in together. Warren goes in the back, and Dale breaks a window. Rude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's an abandoned mansion, and it's haunted. <laughs> True. It adds to the ambiance of the True. place. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And I just I love how they always focus like they focus on how silent it is in this moment. Yeah. Like Seth hears like Grandpa's whistle to signal going in. Like it's really clear to him. I think this part, like picturing it in my mind, would make a really good part of like an adapt of the adaptation. Mm-hmm. Like seeing like Seth seeing like the chords and, and it would obviously be like a more like spooky like. Mm-hmm. horror type thing which would kind of work for this part obviously like either like he... no music or like just a very slow haunting yes, soundtrack something or like it's super quiet and you just like seth is just like watching his family go in and he sees all the chords and it's like it's almost like he can see what's coming before they can which is super ominous mm-hmm. and i think it would just be really i i just really like the way that brandon like describes it and i feel like it really makes it so I can picture it in my mind exactly what's happening and how it's going down. I think that's really – to show that he's, like, good at writing, obviously, <laughs> and, like, the visualization of it. And I think it's it just sets up a really interesting scene. Yeah, I'm just looking at these, like, few paragraphs, and I'm seeing silence. They're whispering. Yeah. Like, all – like, they're just, like, really, like – even though, like, nothing's telling them you have to be quiet because, I mean, they can't see anything. It's actually kind of interesting that Seth can see the cords without drinking the milk. Side note, we can come back to that mm. if we want to later. But like, qui- like it's just repeating quiet, nothing, and it's just it's very interesting. But then, um, Seth decides, eh, it's been a minute. My turn. <laughs> yeah, which is a good thing that he doesn't listen and stay put. <laughs> Mm-hmm. because he goes in the front door and he sees grandma and grandpa like completely still like stuck like how grandpa was with Growlis and he realizes that it's they're stuck by fear mm-hmm. again and then he sees um like a I guess apparition. the dust swirled in a vortex yeah. is yeah. what he sees I also oh, find yeah. it interesting at this point um another proof that he that the apparition has gotten so much more powerful. Mm-hmm. When Seth went in the first time, he had not already been impressed upon by the nail, mm-hmm. but and he was able to go through and exit without being frozen by fear, like they are doing right now. That's true. However, with the nail in the equation, now even the apparition, the specter, can completely immobilize all four of the, our, all four of Seth's family members: mm-hmm. Warren, Dale, Grandma, and Grandpa. Even though they're not even within sight. That's Like, throughout true. the entire house. Warren went in the back door. And this is a pretty well-sized man- manor, it's it's implied. Yeah. Dale is no... Everybody's immobilized. That's true. And I love how Seth takes one look at what's going on. He's like, screw it. my I need my eyes. And yeah. he just he looks and he's like... And I really love that we get some foreshadowing all the way back from book one paid off right here. Because... Lo and behold, the one specter that was with Muriel and Bayamit and outside Seth and Kendra's window during Midsummer's Eve that they barely kept from coming inside is the specter in the manor. Mm-hmm. So. Yep, it's the woman with like the dark, flowy tendrils. Mm-hmm. And that is a good payoff. That's true. I've, I actually kind of forgot about that. <laughs> I, honestly, I honestly kind of wonder if 
Brandon Mole had had like her entire backstory already planned out mm. or if she just he just had her in his back pocket in his back pocket like he designed like this cool character and then yeah. he didn't want her to get axed off in the first book he's like I'm just gonna have her kind of float away <laughs> that's next season's villain <laughs> and we'll just I'm just gonna pull her back in again later yeah <laughs> that's a that's a good question I, uh, it's interesting I wonder that too and so he tries to run to his grandparents, which is probably just, I mean, obviously in the moment he can't think about it, but probably just awful because the the lady like has like the black tendrils and they're faster than Seth can run. And so she gets to his grandparents first and turns them into shadow people. Instantly. Yeah. Like no bite required. Like a, serious, like a touch from her, those That's ribbons, true. done. Yeah, because with bites it took like, an hour to a couple hours for it to happen completely and it's just like just like that they become shadow people well sorry side note he moves faster than the tendrils but they're but they were closer like if like the the specter just side note because he's about to start running around this entire place dodging Mm -hmm. her and so that's i feel like that's an important distinction yeah um so yeah he keeps like seth's like Okay, Grandma and Grandpa are lost. He books it. He's like, I got to find Dale. Mm-hmm. Dale came in a side window. He finds Dale. Dale's also not moving. Immobilized, yeah. And this is a heartbreaking decision that he has to make at this moment. He could make it to Dale, but he's like, by the time I get there, it won't matter. Yeah. And so he just has to turn around and just sprint to Warren yeah. to find him because he's like, Dale will give us time is his like reasoning. I'm like, okay, this child is like 12 and he's having to make these decisions right now. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, you poor boy. And so he manages to get to Warren and another heartbreaking, um, another heartbreaking moment. He manages, like he gets to Warren and he's like, ah. he has to look, he's his, he's trying to pull him toward the he's door. He's about to, he says, I'm going to have to pull him outside. So he grabs onto him. And Warren, like, gasps and comes back to himself. But also, it's so sad because Warren immediately says, the cold, like, the grove. Yeah. With the revenant. Like, this man, he's not only suffering from, like, the effects of the fear from the specter. Trauma. It's also PTSD. Yep. Uh, this whole family has trauma, let's be honest. Let's, <laughs> uh, totally, 100%. It's just Warren's the one who always tries to put it, like, he has arguably some of the most. Yeah. And he's just always, like... Puts on a brave face. Mm-hmm. He puts himself into it to protect the people that he loves. Mm-hmm. And one thing I do want to know is that even when Seth is, like, touching him, like, it doesn't, like, cure Warren completely. Like, he's still, like, slow and still, like, feeling the effects of the fear, which is, like, that just shows you how powerful, like, she is, like you were saying. And that's uh, crazy. And also, as a connected with that how powerful seth is then that he can completely shrug off the effects mm-hmm. like he is not affected at all by this he magical is fear immune to this kind of fear mm-hmm. very helpful <laughs> yeah <laughs> and like warren says man so they like are booking it up the stairs trying to find this room as, yeah as fast as they can and like warren is just stumbling and like he can't keep up and he mm-hmm. just says go yeah he's basically saying like go i'll give you as much time as possible by you leaving me and her claiming me that'll give you enough time to get to the room so once again warren offers himself as like a sacrifice what's happening 
because he will do anything to protect a protect the ones he loves, and then once that's done, finish the mission. Mm-hmm. And uh, duh, like Seth is just having to be—he's got to be the man right now, and he's like. He, he's like, part of his thoughts right here is, if he failed to claim the artifact, all these sacrifices would be in vain. Mm-hmm. It's also happening so fast, too. It's just mm-hmm. like one after another after another mm-hmm. falling down. Like, and this this boy, he like has so much adrenaline. He, made, he manages to break through a locked door. Like He just says, no, I'm getting in here. And he rams through a solid wood door. Like, I can imagine he's just running on pure adrenaline at this point. Oh, yeah, for sure. And so he gets into the room, and he looks around, and he doesn't see the safe. And he kind of, like, starts pulling books off the bookshelf. He's like, where is this Panicking. And then he looks again, and the the safe has appeared. Yes. And so he starts one minute. One minute. One minute on (laughs) the clock. Let's go. And so he does the dial, like, turns the dial to, you know, whatever the numbers are. 33, 22, 31. And he opens it, and he sees... This um, sphere-looking thing sitting there with some buttons. And so he picks it up, and he knows that the Shadow Lady is coming. And like he can he... feel the cold. Like, he may not be paralyzed, but he can feel the cold. Exactly. And so then, out of desperation, he runs to the window trying to look for a way out, and then he starts pushing buttons. <laughs> you know, wait, side note before you get to this. It says here that the, that the thing is a foot in diameter. I never thought about that. Like that's a, like the size of like a basketball. That's a soccer ball. That's a thick thing. That is big. And Seth is just having to like. That's true. Like I always, I guess I always pictured like you know in Harry Potter like the prophecy, like I think like Harry's oh, able to hold it in like yeah. one hand. Like I get it, like got more of like a maybe like a mm. like a softball kind of size, like a woman's softball. Hmm. Maybe a little bit bigger, but like yeah. you comfortably fit in your palm. That's true. And that's what I always picture picture this this device as. Like, not too big, and, like, it's going to be hefty just because of, like, it's got a lot of buttons and gears inside, probably. But, no, this thing's a foot wide. That's true. That thing's hefty. I never noticed that. (laughs) Hefty. That is big. I wonder how much it weighs. It's got to be kind of at least cumbersome to carry around. Yeah, and then Seth even says it looks somewhat heavier than it looked. That thing already looks heavy to me. Probably already, yeah. (laughs) Like, Okay, like Seth. the size of like a basketball or something. That's big. Mm-hmm. And I just so. love at this point, Seth is completely desperate. And like you said, mm-hmm. he pushes buttons. buttons and, well, you don't know the consequences sometimes when you push a button. But thank goodness that these are the consequences. You know what happens? A wild patent appears. <laughs> did you just make a Pokemon reference? Yes, I did. <laughs> no, seriously. I just love like. Like he began, it says and he began pressing the spheres buttons, and suddenly he was not alone in the room. And I just love that, like, like this entire book we've gotten a lot more Patton yeah. references, just because he has been more entwined with the story. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, oh man, it would be so cool to get to know this guy. <laughs> he he apparently he may or may not have killed a dragon. He managed to get through this um, vault all by himself probably took the artifact took the artifact rehit it he is probably such a cool guy i would love to meet him or read about him wish granted yeah and i love that it's like because of that because like everyone started to know Patton better seth immediately recognizes him and he's like that's Patton burgess so mm-hmm. Patton burgess just you know appears 
all of a sudden, and he's like, oh, what the heck? <laughs> like, <laughs> and then Patton's like, he doesn't even flinch. <laughs> doesn't even miss a beat. Immediately makes a wisecrack. You must be the youngest safecracker I've ever seen. And like, he's like, what's he, going on? <laughs> <laughs> what's up? That's not his first question. That's his, like, second thing that he says. <laughs> like he's like, so funny. <laughs> like, come on. This, he, I don't think anything could phase this man at this point. That's like, true. Like, he can be pleasantly surprised, but he's he's just going to roll with it. Yeah. That is how he rolls. And then, boom, Shadow Lady is there. And then he says, hello, Afira. And, and then. The, immediate recoil from the apparition. Like, wait, what? She's like, wait, how are you here? <laughs> I thought you were dead. My death was extremely exaggerated. <laughs> Oh man, and I love how like he uses that, um, that surprise, that recoil to like stall for just a few seconds. Yeah. Like he's like he just starts, starts talking. Like, mm-hmm. can Burgess men shut their mouths? Like I don't think it's possible. No, they well, just have running commentary constantly. That's true. Well, even first, he's almost frozen completely by the fear for a second and then Seth grabs his hand and then he can like turn around and see a fear I forgot that part yeah I did forget about oh I, did, I missed that when I was reading through this yeah I just looked and I was like oh yeah but he was still moving but yeah he was like almost like it wasn't completely he could like move a little bit and so I think that's really interesting that Patton is not I mean he's he's supposed to be a dragon tamer so which is a similar thing similar yeah similar and- with the fear yes Yes, yes, yes. Interesting. And we have some other things that imply maybe he has extra abilities as well, like because he wrote a message in a secret fairy language. That's true. And so, like, we have another example of somebody who kept their mind but was not able to completely retain their faculties. Yeah. Kendra, when she was facing down with the dragon. Mm-hmm. So right there we see, hmm. <laughs> Foreshadowing. <laughs> two plus two equals three. <laughs> maybe. And then after, you know... A little bit of talking. <laughs> Patton's like, to the roof. And Seth's like, there is no roof. And he's like, yeah, there is. <laughs> so he jumps up. He, like, grabs the edge on the outside, hoists himself up above the window, and then takes the, well, he says the chronometer, I think. <laughs> he names it. Does he? Not yet. That later. Dang That's it. a little bit. Ah! I always get that. No, one. but I just love this part where, like, like, yeah, he jumps up for the roof and... He looks down, he says, come on. And Seth just says, okay. okay. <laughs> like he's got the, he's got this artifact in one arm and he's got, like, he, he probably doesn't have as much, like he can't do a one arm pull up, no, I imagine. Patton pulls him up. But no, but like, no, Seth just like reaches out and he jumps. He just stretches out and he jumps. Like Patton has to catch him. Like Seth just said, leap of faith. Lunging out into open air and, and Patton grabs him. That's true. And then Seth's like, we need to get out of here. Who are you? The caretaker's grandson. Fablehaven is at the brink of destruction. <laughs> and Again, like, doesn't miss a beat. Just sums up the situation all the time. Fablehaven's at the brink of destruction. <laughs> and Patton says, okay, let's go Seth. And just <laughs> jumps off the roof. A three-story roof. But he jumps into a tree, onto a tree branch. <laughs> I mean, he's not jumping himself off onto the ground, but yeah, but like, it's still insane. But the coordination of this man, he sails off the roof, catches hold of a limb, breaks, the limb breaks, he lets go, and then catches another one! I mean, come on! 
And then he says, toss me the chronometer. So now we know it's called the chronometer. And then I... Gee, I wonder what this thing has to do with. I love this quote right here when he says, when jumping... Well, first of all, Seth's like, you expect me to jump? And then Patton says, when jumping is the sole option, you jump and try to make it work. Toss it. That's a good life lesson right there. I mean... (laughs) When all you can do is jump? You jump and work with it. Yeah. It kind of reminds me, one of my dad's, like, dadisms... You know, every dad's got dadisms. Yeah. He says, like, control the controllables mm-hmm. and let's just let go of what you can't control. At this point, Seth had no other option than to jump. And, at the, like, exactly. he just had to make it work. And I feel like that's kind of what, like, Patton just goes with. He's like, okay, I'm in this new situation. I'm going to make it work. Control The only thing I control, that's myself right now. It's exactly Patton's life. He puts himself in these impossible situations and then he improvises. I think BS is another good way to put it. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> And he even left the best branch for Seth. I mean, come on. This man probably has 100 pounds on this kid. And he mm. said, let me leave the nice, thick branch for him. Yeah. I'll take the flimsy one that's going to break the second I touch it. In fact, he was even, like, thinking about that. I was just like, man, this guy thinks quickly. Uh-huh. <laughs> he is fast on his feet and in his mind. Like, the second he heard, caretaking his grandson, Fablehaven is in danger. He's like, okay, let's go. He's like, well, <laughs> first of all, we have to get off this roof to <laughs> fix this situation. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he he also, like, immediately trusts Seth. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he initially he says, you're the youngest safe breaker I've ever seen. But at the same time, like, he I, I bet he's got several variables running, running through his brain at this point. He's like, how else would he know that the safe is here? Like, he probably, like, glanced at the safe. Doesn't look like it's been broke in, broken into it some, or anything. Ephira, mm-hmm. the apparition, is actively trying to get, like, it was chasing him. Yeah. So he's like, okay. He's clearly not on her side, and I know her side is a bad side. Mm-hmm. And, like, he grabbed my hand, helped me keep my mind, and he is not trying to run away. He's not, like, he's trying to help is basically. Yeah. So I just found that interesting. Like, like he, like, it looks like he's just kind of blindly trusting Seth, but I'm betting not. Like, and he might, he, and I, he probably grills him in, like, about ten minutes once they're not in active danger. Yeah. But, yeah. So I think Patton's got good enough instincts to be able to figure people out. And also, he didn't really have a choice but to, like, go away with Seth as well because Seth had the chronometer and Afira was there and they had to get out. So, yeah. <laughs> And then, so Seth does jump and take the leap. So That's all it is, Miles. Good for him. Leap of faith. Now, what's up, danger? I love that freaking movie. I love how even though he's, like, getting ready to take the leap, he's like... Uh, this would mean certain death. Uh, I can if see I myself missed, missing. Yeah. Oh, creepy apparition's coming up behind me. Okay, let's go. <laughs> yep, he's like, well, that was the motivation I needed. Shadow Lady is on the roof. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I love how they both just start, like, climbing down, and, like, Seth's like, I don't even care at this point. I just jumped off a roof. He's like, I'm descending recklessly at this mm-hmm. point. So, yeah, they get down, and then... Patton catches him, too. Like, he's like, there were no limbs for the last ten feet. He hung and dropped. Patton caught him. Come on. Come on, Patton. I love this next, like, interaction because they're talking about, like, Afira and stuff. And then Seth says, you know the revenant in the grove in the valley between four hills? Patton shot him a surprise glance. As a matter of fact, I do. We think Kurosok got a hold of the nail that gave the revenant his power. How did the revenant lose the nail? They reached the cart and clambered into the bed. Go, Hugo, Seth panted. Fast as you can, back to the pond. Anyway, um, blah, blah, blah. 
Seth located the spare flash powder and shared some of the patent. Actually, I pulled the nail out. You did? Patton looked astonished. How? A pair of pliers and some courage potion. Patton regarded Seth with a broad grin. I think the two of us are going to get along just fine. <laughs> At that moment, he said, I'm adopting this kid. <laughs> <laughs> this is before he knows that uh, he's actually related to him. So <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't know what time he's in. He doesn't yeah. know any. He doesn't know. He doesn't like, know who's the caretaker. Yeah, so like he's just like, I don't know who you are, but I like you. Yeah, he's like, it's it's exactly how Warren reacted when Kendra told him where Seth went when Warren woke up in the second book. Yes. Exactly. He's like, I think I'm going to like this kid. <laughs> <laughs> and I just love that it's the same, you know, with all the Burgess men, you know, they all like, they act the same. They're like, yeah, we're going to get along just fine. <laughs> I mean, I mean, imagine grandpa in his prime. I bet he, he probably had some, like he, he may not be a Burgess, but. He's he seems like he's got some fun. He's a kindred spirit. He's a kindred spirit. <laughs> so yeah, Seth is having to like quickly tell Patton about the plague and everything and explain. And so yeah, gets to do it on the fly. Mm-hmm. And then I love like he's like, which reminds me, um, how are you here? You're not even old, like. <laughs> and I love how Patton's like, yeah, I learned a couple tricks. Yeah. Um. Learn that the chronometer is the artifact that has power over time. Do 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 do. What a big surprise when it's literally called chronometer. Chrono, time. Hmm. It's, it's, it's in the name. I mean, I didn't know that the prefix chrono meant time, but I guess like chronology is what I think of like chronological. Chronos, Titan of Time. Chronological. That's spelled with a K though. Yes, but it's the same root. Okay, well, I didn't learn that Latin prefix. <laughs> but I just, like, chronometer Chronometer is kind of on the nose. Like, what do you think about it? I mean, they're all on the nose. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Sans of sanctity. Sanctity, purity, you know. Yeah, translocator. Translocate. Mm-hmm. Oculus. The font of immortality. <laughs> that's the most on the nose. <laughs> I wonder what that does. Gee, I wonder. Keep you immortal. Am I missing one? No, no, we got all five. By the way, um, side note, how do you pronounce the demon's name Which here one? in Fableheim? Here, not Kurosok. Growlis. Interesting. Growlis. Growlis. I always pronounce, I give the U a little bit more of oomph. I Growlis. Yeah, I noticed. <laughs> like yeah. The growl, like a growl. Growlis. 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 Book versus audiobook. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, you versus audiobook. Who knows how other people pronounce it? Read. That's true. Well, that one I'm pronouncing it as a, as a spelling. That is its exact spelling. Growlus. 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 I've heard both in the audiobook. Yeah. So yeah, um, Patton says that the chronometer has a special thing where if you push, if you push a button, the next time that button is pushed, you are. Brought forward to that time when that button is pushed for three days. And so he did that to just in case it was stolen so that he could hopefully get it back from whoever stole it. So he used it as like an extra precaution against thieves. Mm-hmm. And good thing Seth just decided to push any button that he could. <laughs> and that's the bush button he pushed and it didn't accidentally like make him a hundred year old man or into a baby or transport him back to like the 1400s. Yeah, I was to say like take him back in time or something. 
it was a bit of a risk. Yeah. And so they just keep briefing. And I just love, like, they're just, like, they don't even miss a beat. Like, Seth's, like, just starts immediately briefing Pat. And, like, everybody's mm-hmm. a shadow. Everything. We, we got, like, darks, fairies, dwarves, satyrs, you name it. And, like, all these things. Yeah. And, um, like, Patton's like, I was just going to steal the thing back. Now I have to stop an entire plague. Come on. <laughs> and, um. Well, there's a perk for him. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, I love how he's like, okay, so we're going to the pond. Yes. This is the perk. <laughs> and, and this is, like, the little thing. He's like, he speaks hesitantly. He's like, mm-hmm. what about, um, Lena? And the sad thing yeah. is, I guess, has she passed yet? Well, because he would have expected her to have like, died. Yeah, he hasn't even, like, well, at, at this point, he probably knows it's been, like... A while. I think 100 years? 200? 150? Like, between 100 and 150 years. I mean, the safe was since, made before since, well, since World, he, War One, World, World, World War I. Yeah, I think he was born, like, somewhere in, like, the mid to late 1800s. Yeah. So, like, he lived between, like, the late 1800s until, like, the 19... 19- Hundreds. Yeah. yeah, he's probably sprung forward at least 80, 90 years. And so, yeah, yeah they like he would have known that Lena was aging slowly. But at that point, <laughs> you, you never know. I'm mm-hmm. Like, that's why I think the white school like, And Seth's like, no, actually, she's a naiad. And sometimes <laughs> I was like, wait, what? He's like, that's not supposed to be possible. <laughs> Next, you're going to tell me that all the imps on the preserve are fairies again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> About that. Well. <laughs> surprise, surprise, Patton. Your lovely wife is still alive and lovely again. (laughs) (laughs) She still has the (laughs) still is in love with you. So (laughs) yes, like she's still not. Oh, I meant like she's de-aged since she went back into the pond. I yeah, I know. Oh okay. (laughs) I'm also saying after all this time, she still loves you. (sighs) My heart. So yeah, <laughs> later like later in this exchange, like they managed to like Seth mostly casters pat patent up on most of the stuff. Patton's like, okay, we need to move swiftly. Have Hugo abandon the cart, and we can go to the rest of the way, and Hugo can just carry us. And Seth's like, hmm, that might work. Patton's like, of course it will. <laughs> <laughs> of course it will, kid. I've done this before. <laughs> I've been around the pond a few times. Yeah. That also makes me wonder, how long has Hugo been at Fablehaven? Yeah, because. Patton doesn't Does Patton, recognize him. Yeah. I don't know. I feel... What did they say at the beginning of the first book? I can't When remember. they introduced Hugo, he's like, he was a gift to the preserve. That's the thing, is that I feel like... It said centuries ago. Yeah. I don't know. Because I, I, I don't think that Patton knows Hugo. Well... It never says that he doesn't. That's true. Seth kind of well, presumes. He yeah, says, he does. Hugo, the golem. And he does say, I almost think that he does know Hugo. Maybe not. But I don't. But then he doesn't order Hugo. It's Seth that does it. Yes. And if he knew Hugo, Hugo would recognize him and still take orders from him. Most like. likely. Hmm. Or... Maybe he was a gift to a new caretaker after Marshall or after the previous caretaker was killed. Yeah. Um, during the whole patent uncle debacle. Fiasco. Yeah. That's a good word for it too. And um so maybe it was like a gift in the last hundred years. Maybe. Maybe also, um I don't remember what it says about Hugo in the first book. I'd, I'd have to look that up. Was Patton ever a caretaker of Fablehaven? I'm not sure that they were. I don't know. 
I I feel like he was, but then he went on so many adventures. I feel like it wouldn't it would have seem been, like he would be. It would have been irresponsible for him to be the caretaker. Well, I don't know if he could even really. I guess he could leave, but that'd be like him abandoning his post. And yeah. he's a very honorable person, so he wouldn't do that. I feel yeah, and we already discussed earlier that there's probably at least a brother involved to pass the name down because, um, yeah, through because that's why um, it's their great uncle and not their great great grandfather well and also i feel like it's stan Sorensen who is the main caretaker but it says but he if married it came into through, it oh it does it's like i think it says he married into the family and then he got the preserve stupid patriarchy like... <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> no but like i think I don't know. I feel like it works better with the whole grandma grandpa dynamic personally. But um Grandma should be in charge. She is. True. <laughs> but like Stan is like the main one, so anyway, whatever. Yeah, I know. I don't know. It's interesting to think about. This is why we need the family tree, but yes! we go past can we get the family tree of Patton Burgess and all the Burgesses down to the Warren and then the Sorensons. And also a history of Fablehaven, please. History of like Fablehaven. all the caretakers. Yeah, the caretakers, at least from like Patton. Patton's uncle. Yeah, Marshall. Or maybe one before, all the way down to Stan. Uh huh. That would be nice. Very. That would actually help a lot. <laughs> so, that would be great, Brandon, if you could do that. I would love that. <laughs> history of Fablehaven, that'd be cool. Mm hmm. And we already did Caretaker's Guide, but that's about like the magical creatures. It's like. Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. <laughs> but not adapted into a horrible movie franchise. That's true. <laughs> it's just the textbook of it. <laughs> I have feelings. Um, so yeah, they go back to the pond and that's where the chapter ends. Yep. There... So yes, we lost like five people, but we got Patton. So really, we're, you, we're you, ending on, the ups, uh, on an up You gained the world's greatest adventurer. <laughs> There's, he's priceless. Like, of course, we did lose the world's current greatest adventurer. Warren. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that is true. Yeah. We traded one bad traded a bad Burgess for another bad Burgess, a Burgess. Yeah. The Burgess of last century for, well, the Burgess of this century for the Burgess of last century. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, plus Grandma, Grandpa, and Dale, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any Sethisms or any Warrenisms or Kendraisms that we missed? Uh, I'm checking right now. I have the now you beg from Kendra during the right oh. after the confrontation with the satyrs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got one. Um, Warren's describing centaurs to Seth, mm-hmm. and like Seth is like, "Oh, so centaurs are kind of like fairies, like they're very vain." And like, for, and Warren's like, "Yeah, not really. So fairies are vain, but they also care what we think, and so they'll still interact with us because they uh-huh. want to be told they're beautiful. Centaurs just don't give a crap. <laughs> like they know they're good, and everybody else is just." inferior and they perceive all other this is a direct quote centaurs sincerely perceive that all other creatures as inherently lower than themselves they sound like my math teacher Seth said (laughs) and of course Warren grins because they share a brain cell exactly (laughs) I found mine it's in the same chapter refuge it's when Seth's walking around looking at other magical creatures oh my gosh Seth walked with Kendra and Grandpa toward the cart before veering away, hustling to join a line of dwarves trooping by. None of them stood much taller than his waist. How are you men doing? He asked. When they looked up, he saw them. He saw. 
When they looked up, he saw that despite their sparse whiskers, they were all women. One of them spat at his feet. He hopped away from the loogie. Sorry, I'm nearsighted, Seth said. <laughs> and then following really that, <laughs> following that, like, the very next paragraph, um, like, he, like, kind of justifies himself for going off to, um, like, hang out with, like, like, and, like, explore all the magical creatures. Yeah. Because he's supposed to be helping Warren and Dale, like, build the tents. <clears throat> he's like, who wants to set up tents at this time? Besides, quote, it would give Warren and Dale an occasion for brotherly bonding. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny, too. There's so many good jokes in these chapters. Yeah, this one was fire. This one's it's, full and it's only it. going to get better. Yeah. Now that we got Pat, you know it's exactly. only going to get better. It's oh, so good. Kendra accused him of voluntarily reading. Should I telephone the authorities? Oh, yeah. We talked about that one. <laughs> we talked about I just uh, yeah. recap. Yeah. It's just too it's good. so good. It's just too good. Too funny. We better lock him in the quiet box. So help me, Seth. I'll take him up on that. <laughs> I was like, don't give me a good idea and <laughs> bet that I won't do it. Well, <sighs> but now we have Patton. We have Patton and we have the last chunk of chapters to go through do for this book. Do we only have six left? Yeah. Remember we divided it into four? Oh, uh, yeah. We so decided six chapters. Yep. So Duel. next time. Yeah. Oh, Duel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. I'm oh, so yes. excited. Because <laughs> Seth has some dues, has some debts yeah. that must be paid. He has to face his <laughs> consequences. Face the music. <laughs> face the consequences of his actions. <laughs> Unless Patton has something to say about it. Anyway. <laughs> He always does. So that's it for this week. Thank you all f- so much for listening to this episode of the Knights of the Dawn podcast. Thank you for joining us. And we really appreciate all you guys do by liking, subscribing, commenting, you know, sending us emails, any of that. We interacting in any way whatsoever. Interacting or even just listening. I don't uh-huh. care, you know. It's, it's all great. So thank you so much for all you do. And if you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. If you know anyone else that listens to f- – uh, listens, reads, whatever, Fablehaven or any of Brian Mill's books, feel free to share this podcast and help us grow and reach a wider audience because we just want to, you know, grow this community and just group of fans who are a fan of Brian Mill. Help people realize how darn good these books actually are. Exactly. So, yeah, remember you can find us on anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you haven't, go subscribe to our YouTube channel and check out our video on the tier list and everything and watch out for any new videos or YouTube shorts that we come up with to post there. And if you have any questions, you can email us at nights of the dawn podcast at gmail.com. Other than that, I don't have anything to add. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, other than that, have a good day, everyone. Drink the milk. See ya. (laughs) 